episode 24 at the MetroFan TV Weekly Rundown. And if you're listening to this, congratulations on surviving whatever happened on Tuesday. Lens of Fernando coming to you live from <laughs> the usual locations. How are you feeling, Fernando? Um, um, I, I guess disappointed and, and frustrated. Uh, frustrated about a lot of things and, and disappointed about some stuff. But, you know, it, it's... Yeah, I guess it kind of is what it is. That kind of sums it up, doesn't it? And uh, that does it for this episode, actually. So we'd like to thank everyone for it. Nah, just joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, like, I don't know, man. Like, uh, like, like, I think we can all agree that it was a gut punch. And, like, a lot of emotions were running really high in the day. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's March. And we still have a whole season ahead of us, I guess. So um, let's just say that like, uh, it's not really over just yet, for better or for worse. Um, um, I personally have, I mean, I personally like got over it, I think, a lot quicker than I anticipated. Because I think like, you know, in spite of the fact that we kind of lost a pretty like assailable position, like it was going to kind of be a pretty tall task to begin with so i mean as it usually is here a lot of good and a lot of bad you know and i think um i guess with that we'll begin our close reading of uh, the greek tragedy that transpired on tuesday so if you tuned in <laughs> welcome to the first ever metro fan tv arts and drama episode where we'll be going in depth about um <laughs> the latest masterpiece i guess um that was put out on the uh field against us and like i said i think um the center the central figure in this story for better or for worse is the manager chris armis and i think my theory is is that this is the game where you saw the best that chris armis has to offer as well as the worst that he has to offer as the head coach of this team and i think it would be probably be best served if we actually went through the game in chronological episode sorry no in chronological order because it kind of does read like a tragedy in three parts in a way doesn't it like <laughs> yeah <laughs> perfectly yeah, it does. perfectly set up that way and i don't really want to rag on too much about that but i guess you know like i said there were a lot of really good things as well as really really bad things in this game that you can find if you go and see there. And I don't think anyone can dispute that the first 30 minutes of this game were some of the most, like, just, were some of the most life-affirming moments following this team, right? I mean, it's not every day that any club from MLS, let alone us, goes to the home ground of the Liga MX club and puts two goals on them in the opening 10 minutes of the game to tie up the tie in aggregate. I mean, say what you want about what transpired after that. I think the fight and the belief that the team came out with on the day was unbelievable. And I think that's where I want to kind of begin the discussion of, because I think um, there was a lot of, I think, maybe discourse on like how Chris Armas is going to adjust going into the second tie. Will he play a more attacking lineup when he has all these options available at his disposal. And I think, you know, I think it proved on the uh, opening in the first half on uh, Tuesday that 
he was definitely interested in going for it. And, you know, I think maybe someone, some people wanted to see Kyle Duncan over Connor Laid. I know I certainly did. But for the first 30 minutes of the game, I mean, Laid wasn't really an issue because the attacking lineup that Armas put out put us in such a massive position to get something out to tie. And, you know, I think that's indisputable because, like, Florian Velo was uncertain to the starting lineup and looked incredible next to Sean Davis for the opening 30 minutes of the game. Omir Fernandez came in for Alex Wheel and looked... He didn't look like a kid fresh out of college playing against uh, seasoned veterans from Mexico. And, you know, I think... Um, and the, 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 the team just came out playing with so much vigor and so much belief they'd be able to do it. And it just showed in the way they managed to just pick apart Santos's defense defense. Like it wasn't anything like team Dick punch came back and it looked <laughs> like gravy for about 30 minutes. Right. I think yeah, you can't really on the day itself. I, I mean, you can't really dispute the fact that the starting lineup like worked the starting lineup and the game plan from the start worked in absolute charm in the opening 10 minutes of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, um, I think because of, of uh, I think Atlanta may, the, the second leg in Atlanta may have uh, skewed people's expectations a little bit in a way where they kind of expected him to just trot out the second, you know, the same lineup and, and not really make the uh, the adjustments the adjustments needed. So, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I was kind of 50-50 on what was going to happen. Um, I, and on one hand, I'm like, okay, well, we did create a lot of chances with that lineup. So I could, I guess, justify if he did come out with the same lineup. I wouldn't have been happy at all, but I could see if there was some kind of justification. On the other hand, I figured, you know, maybe he does surprise people. Maybe he does come out with, with a real, like, strong attacking lineup, and he did. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I was, I was very, 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 very excited. Um, I Up into the lineup, I was kind of – uh, I I don't even know how to explain it. I was just okay with the game. Like you know, I, I I at that point I don't think I really had any expectations. You know, we I felt that at the time we lost. If we were going to lose, it was going to be because of the first leg, which I think, in a weird way, is still the case. But I felt that you know, at the team that had nothing to lose as long as they go out there and they try and and you know do something. Like if we lose, we lose. No big deal. I was not expecting to see that lineup, and and credit to credit to, to to Chris for for having the 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 guts to put a lineup like that. I mean, you're you're gonna put it you're gonna put a 19 year old uh, academy kid who who you know was just playing college soccer a couple of months ago. I mean, his 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 pro debut was in CC was in was in CCL, and here you are putting putting him to start in a massive must must win huge game. That that takes a lot of courage. I uh, massive credit for that, um, and it worked. I mean, the 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 whole starting eleven, I think, was okay. I've after some conversations with people, I've kind of talked myself down on on the extreme level of criticism I think I've had with Laid. Um, so I think even with Laid, I was okay with the starting lineup. But again, just seeing him seeing him put that lineup, I felt. I, I instantly felt excited again. Like I was like, wow, this we we might actually do it. And then we scored two goals within within ten minutes. That was that was unbelievable. And 
I'm going to bring up the contrast to Tijuana a couple times, I'm sure, because I do think for in good ways and bad ways, there are things to compare these two legs, uh, compare these two, you know, these, these two, the two series with these two different teams. One of them is we looked a lot better offensively against Santos in both legs than we ever did against Tijuana, which to me makes sense because Tijuana was a very, very, very good defensive team last year. And Santos really isn't. They're just a very, very good attacking team when they're kind of firing on all cylinders. Um, so seeing us come out like that, I was like, wow, we actually like we're dominating them. We're not just, you know, kind of playing a little, you know, slightly shithouse soccer and, and and trying to just, you know, squeak in two goals. We attack them. We look like us in 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 the first, you know, 20, 25 minutes or so. I think as we hit the closer to the 30 minute mark, you can kind of start seeing things maybe start swaying a little bit. It was starting to even out a little bit, but we were still attacking. We still looked like us. And that was, that's all I wanted to see. And yeah. then, and then, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think um, a, a lot of like what, what, what went on in like the opening 30 minutes of the game was, I think the contributions of the two players I mentioned being inserted in the starting lineup and looking just fantastic right off the bat. I mean, like below next to Sean Davis added this like, um, added this, um, added someone who could kind of shuttle the ball forward, kind of a bit like what Tyler Adams used to be able to do, but also gave us someone. I mean, obviously, like not to the degree that Tyler could do it, but you know, it was still someone who was comfortable dribbling and bringing a ball up, on, bringing a ball up, and linking. You know, the transition between defense and offense. You know, I think like we saw like what Florian was capable of doing last year and I'm, I'm sure we were all excited that he was named into starting 11 again and it paid i think almost immediate dividends when you saw just how great he was at linking the play between the lines in that opening 30 minutes you know just shuttling the ball up um laying it off passing it around with is a really solid distribute like ability to distribute the ball and i think you also have to pay compliments to omir fernandez you know i mean like yeah. uh didn't look intimidated at all by the occasion, which I think a lot of, you know, I think it's not easy for a 20 year old, like, as you said, just off of playing college ball, going into a game like that in a very hostile environment, going up against probably the best team that this organization has ever faced in competitive play. And just, completely not only looking not completely overmatched by the occasion but scoring a goal like right there i think he really impressed of his uh, movement his ability to just his tenacity in the press and his and his ability on a ball i mean like i think this was the more he proved that to me i think that he was the more offensively inclined version of alex mule that we've all been clamoring for i think over the past few years right and yeah. we know that we are really high in Alex Mule, like on this podcast in general, but we've always known that the book on him is that he could offer just a bit more on offense, that he'd be a great like player to have in a starting line. And yeah. while we were kind of betting on that internal development of Alex Mule into that player, I mean, here comes Omir Fernandez looking like that player right off the bat. And I think if you're watching him particularly, and you're seeing the strides that he's already made in his first few starts. You really start to wonder where the ceiling kind of lies with him. Like, you know that he's definitely going to make he, that the floor, the very minimum 
for Omir Fernandez was definitely that he'd have a very productive career in MLS. But mm-hmm. now you're starting to wonder if it could be more than that. You know, I think uh, his performances, for better or for worse, have put him on the uh, national team radar at youth level. He's being in consideration for the under-20 team. I know he was uh, with the under-20 team in the past, well, even while he was still in college. But now you're starting to see the national hype machine start to build him up even more. And I don't think that that's a coincidence at all. Yeah, I mean, the, the system the system is complex and it definitely requires most of the pieces clicking. And, and I think certain positions and roles might be uh, maybe a little more important than the other in terms of, of, of kind of just how it balances things out. Um, but one thing is, you know, by having someone like when this team is moving so fast, you're for you force defenders and and and, uh, and midfielders on the, the opposing team to have to play fast and think fast and move quickly to kind of match your movement. And one of the things of having someone like like Fernandez out uh, Fernandez out uh, out there is he's quick, he's he's good on the ball, his movement is good. By having someone like out uh, by having someone like him out there. You're keeping the defenders on their toes. You're you're making you're making them aware of his presence. They have to be because he's a threat, and 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 it's just simple logic. You now open so much space for other players. Brad, even though he didn't get a goal, he did get an assist, and he I thought for the first 20, 30 minutes he looked good because he had a little more freedom because they really couldn't double team him as much because they had to focus on on you know on the other players around there by having that space out there. Uh, uh, Velo was kind of able to get a little more freedom to move. And when we all know when Velo has that freedom to move, Gaku has that freedom to move. And when Gaku has that freedom to move, you see what he can do. You can see what that, you can see what happens when, when both of those guys, Gaku and Velo next to each other, have that freedom to, 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 uh, to do things. You, we saw that in the first half of last year. That's why I railed the entire second half of last season. Almost every single episode on this pod and on social and on Twitter railing on the fact that losing Florian Velo was the single biggest impact to to our season. Even though we still won the shield, there was a noticeable difference in how the team was playing. And I insisted that it was Velo. And I feel like just the, the, the little bit of time we've seen him, uh, we've seen him back, he has shown it. We see why he's so important to the team, especially uh, and how it affects uh, 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 Gaku. So yeah. by having someone like Fernandez out there, like just we, I feel like we don't – like you mentioned, I love Wheel, awesome player, but he doesn't have the that attacking flair, that attacking ability on the ball to really do things. He's good off the – he's fantastic off the ball, but when you're actually attacking, when you're when you're charging towards, you know, towards the net to score – when you have someone like Fernandez there, you're, you're, again, you're going to keep defenders on their toes. You're going to keep them alert. They need to be aware of your presence. And as long as you have defenders' pre- uh, uh, awareness, and as long as you have them thinking about you, that means that's one less, that's one more person they're thinking about, but one less person they're thinking about on, on on a different part of the field. And that just right. opens up space. Yeah, and I, th- I think uh, as you, as you, as you mentioned, I think um, this this poses a really interesting dilemma. I think just based off the first um, 30 minutes of the game again is that, um, you know, I think we're, we, we, this, the feeling that I got is that in the question of replacing Tyler Adams in midfield, 
was going to be something that required a lot of trial and error and a lot of running out a bunch of different guys to see the variety of looks that different midfield combinations will be able to bring. Right. And I think so far, you know, we praised Riza, we praised Riza a lot for his uh, ability to create in the counter press for the opening two games against Pantoa. But we saw a different look with Florian Velo next to Sean Davis. You know, I think it was something a bit more reminiscent of um, a bit of what the midfield combination was last year. It's just an ability and just in Florian's ability to get on the ball, um, bring it up with comfort and then lay it off for somebody. But I think in that sense, like, you know, maybe Rizzo doesn't quite have that, you know, that ability to shuttle as much, you know, I think uh, he's definitely a bit more of like a pressing slash passing kind of guy. Like Velo can do, Velo adds that that dimension of being able to dribble past people from his time playing on the wing, for better or for worse. You know, I think we talked about how a lot of how like the tenant having so many so-called ten and a halfs in this team makes it so much better. And I think an asset that we have here is that I think Velo showed that he may have a role in the center of the field next to Sean Davis. You know, I think um, just of how much it helps that transition from defense to offense um, in the role that he played on um, Tuesday against T- uh, Santos. Sorry, I almost said Tijuana again um, against <laughs> Santos. <laughs> may make a case that he might be another potential answer to fill the gap left by Tyler Adams. You know, I think we're not, we weren't going to replace like Tyler Adams one for one because he was, he's a, he's a generational talent. It's as simple as that. I don't think it's going to be a very long time before you see a player with that kind of motor and that kind of ability to cover as much ground as he does walk through the doors in of Harrison again. But I think with so far having not really tested all the available center midfield options at your disposal, I think the returns from Davis and Velo, considering the quality of the opposition, were the most encouraging so far. And that kind of takes us into like the next so-called um, segment of this game of what kind of happened when we, when our attacking momentum to start the game kind of petered out a little bit and Santos started to settle and show their quality. You know, and I think um, from minute 35 onwards, it was pretty clear that we kind of ended up starting to be on the back foot around this part of the game, right? I think a lot of the uh, verve that we had to start the game wore off, um, and Santos started to settle, get on the ball a bit more, and then start to calm down and regain their composure, I think. And this is where I think you start to see where the maybe the experience of their players like came into um, play here. Because I think once they got on the ball more, settled, got a bit more comfortable, stroking it around and purposefully slowing down the pace of the game by being a bit more possessive, it took us out of it slowly, right? And I think... Um, it, uh, and I think uh, from that, that was sort of like the turning point in the game for me. I think uh, the tipping point was the substitutions in the second half that we'll be getting to later. But the turning point was definitely when Santos gained their heads again after um, conceding two in the opening 10 minutes and uh, could have very well given up a third, actually, uh, if Brad uh, 
maybe gets a better finish on that chance inside the box. But regardless, I think um, you saw, I think, you know, I think you touched upon it slightly in the last episode. It was a this, this difference in mental maturity between the teams. And I think when you talk about certain intangible things having a massive impact, effect in the game um you can't deny that you know i think santos's um ability to just kind of say okay we're going to calm down we're going to possess the ball a bit more and we're going to try and slow it down and regain some some sense of rhythm really kind of made a difference on the day again because it took us out of it right we were kind of start we were then we were starting to be forced to chase the ball a bit more we're starting to uh and uh we weren't quite able to, ca- to capitalize on the shock and how out of sorts they were. Like once they started getting a bit more comfortable, I think. So, yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think everyone needs to accept the reality that we are an MLS club and you can be the best team in MLS history and the the reality is we're still not close to to most Liga MX teams, and I feel it's also very important to 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 point out too that like parity doesn't exist in Liga MX. It barely, I mean, it it it's it's a fake level of parity at this point in MLS, but there's still a level of parity. Like there's there's real handicaps in MLS. There's there is only so much you can grow. And, and, and from one season to the next, I mean, we've seen teams fluctuate, but, in it, but that's because of the handicaps of, of, of the, uh, you know, the rules and, 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 and roster and salary structure, whatever. Those things don't exist with, with League MX. Uh, a, a team, you know, a club that was seventh place last year doesn't mean it's the same level of quality the next year. You know, seventh place to seventh place from one year to the next. Yeah, MLS is improving every year, but do people think that that, that Liga MX isn't either? You have teams subbing in guys who are fifth. You have guys who who are coming off the bench that cost fifteen million dollars. Fifteen million dollars just coming off the bench, like 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 it's nothing. So it's frustrating, but we have to also understand the realities that being a big club in in in, in MLS. Doesn't mean we're this big, massive club, in 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 the grand scheme of 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 Concacaf, especially when it compares to to, to basically MX. And I think this is important to what you brought up because you saw just that level of confidence from them. They knew they were a better team. I'm sorry they they knew they were they knew that if they attacked, well. Well, I mean, uh, like, I, I, I think I, I, like, yeah, you wanted to make a point, but I was, I just wanted to like push back momentarily um, mm-hmm. on like the fact that I think we definitely have like the talent to give them a really good match. Of course, you know, I don't yeah, really yeah. think the golf and talents really that big. You know, as effusive in my praise as I was for Santos's player, like on the la- players on the last episode, I think you know. I, it's not really at a case in my opinion where like, Oh, they're really just so much better than us, but rather I think it's a case of us being competitive and getting a result against Santos who's going to come down to us playing probably the best mistakes free soccer that we could give for 90 minutes. And that's, but but see that, I, I think that's kind of where my point is that 
Santos doesn't have to play 90 minutes of mistake-free soccer to beat us. Okay. We have to have 90 minutes of the least mistake-free soccer that we possibly can have in order to beat them. That's kind of what I mean. I, like the right. golf, like it's like I said in, in the last one, it's about the margins. The margins, margins are thin. Yes, I do believe that we can compete. I mean, we created, even when we were down last uh, in the first leg, we were still creating chances. In this game, we were still creating chances. So we showed a very strong level of quality. I'm not trying to say that, that, that we don't. I'm not trying to say it's like comparing – you know, uh, two totally different, you know, totally, two totally different levels of, of, of quality. But if a team is like level 10 and another team is level seven or eight, 10 is still 10 and seven and is still seven kind of thing. Right. Okay. So right. it was the kind of thing where Santos knew that they had an edge and attacking quality and they showed in the, and they, and they knew from the first leg that if you rattled us enough, they could take advantage of it just from their quality. Again, margins are thin. So a team like that, maybe they can make a couple of mistakes. They have the quality to, to, to kind of come back and not be out of it. We don't have that luxury that that, to me, that's, that's the reality. We've, we've, we've seen this, we see this all the time and the direct comparison is going to be Tijuana. Yeah. We, we beat Tijuana five, one in aggregate, but we didn't steamroll them in the first leg. Yeah. Yeah, our, I mean, like, our our asses were clenched that whole fucking game. They could have easily put multiple goals on us. That's the kind of game where we took advantage of our chances in Mexico the, in the first yeah. leg. We took advantage of our chances, and we just had an unbelievable near mistake free first leg. And then you go into the second leg; it's kind of the same thing. This leg, uh, uh, this this series, it, that wasn't the case. And Tijuana was a very, very, very good defensive team last year, but they were not a good attacking team last year at all. This year, Santos isn't as good defensively as Tijuana, but they're way better on the attack. And I think we saw that. We were able to create – we played better against a better attacking team this year, but we defended worse – on a better attacking team this year. And I yeah. think that's kind of what ended up happening. Our margins this year for for the attack were maybe a little bit bigger than they were. We just didn't take advantage of it. But the margins were super, super thin defensively. And we got hammered for it. Absolutely yeah. hammered for it. And again, yeah. I, I fully, fully, truly believe that we are a very, very good team, regardless of MLS or Liga MX. But the reality is we're still not at that level and we can't have that many mistakes, not mental or otherwise, that many times in a two-leg series while at the same time not taking care of your not, – not finishing the, the, the constant chances that you're creating. And, and for me, that's kind of what it comes down to. And, and that goes down to coaching and that just comes down to, again, just the reality of, of there just being different, different levels of quality. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think to your point about the margins being very thin at this level of competition, you know, I think I saw a really good tweet from uh, some for, uh, on the timeline. I think uh, during like uh, in and around the game is like when two teams are very evenly matched, you start to see comebacks become a bit more likely because they capitalize on the slightest of mistakes that yes. the opposition makes, yeah. and we saw that in the game. You know, I think we capitalized on 
the defensive errors that Santos were they that Santos had to start the game in the opening thirty minutes of the game. We capitalized on that using our quality. But I would definitely say that once the substitutions happen in the second, and we're gonna get into this a bit more later. Um, once the substitutions in the second half happen, Santos capitalized that to like an even greater degree. Once you know, the sp- once the midfield was imbalanced and the space started popping up all over the place, and what I would k- kind of summate this game, like the flow throughout the entire series, was is that in the first leg, like Santos won because they showed their quality on the day with the chances that they had and how clinical they were in front of goal when it mattered, while we didn't show our quality. Right, I think. That's what the first leg came down to. Santos showed their quality and their clinical and, and their clinical ability to finish games, and we didn't. And that's mm-hmm. just a simple fact because, like, our finishing let us down in the day, and our defense kind of fell out of sorts a little bit, right? So then you fast forward to the second leg. We showed our quality to start this game. We showed our quality because we brought back Team Dick Punch. We unsettled Santos and could have very well gotten three goals within the opening. 25 minutes of the game if certain things go our way, right? I think that'd be very fair to say. Definitely, But yeah. then Santos showed their quality again in response to us by taking full advantage of our tactical, our short, our tactical shortcomings in the second half. And I think that's just a fact. You know, I think I would summate this as Santos hitting a home run with their chances in the first game. And then hitting a grand slam in this one, right? And their ability to just kind of take advantage of the various shortcomings that we showed uh, between our two legs. And if you really think about it, and I know like it's going to be very, it's it's emotionally charged because I think anytime your team concedes four goals in 10 minutes, like that's unacceptable. Rightfully so. I think people were rightfully incensed when you saw that kind of level of, I mean, just flat out capitulation, I'm going to be frank in using that word. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, I think Santos, like you said, showed their quality and just turning that slight, that, that advantage and capitalizing it on a degree that I don't think any team in MLS would be able to, to the degree that they have just simply because of the attacking quality that they had at their disposal, you know, like, like I said again, you know, like anytime you can run out um, at a front six that has talents like Julio Furch and Javier Correa flanked by Lozano, Marlos Moreno, and Diego Valdez shuttling between the lines. You know, I think anytime you have some like that is an attack that is well geared towards taking advantage of basically any slight bit of space that was going to pop up or any slight chance you're going to give them. And I think the proof in the pudding showed, and I guess we're going to pivot to the second half in this. Um, and the proof in the pudding showed that after the substitutions in the second half, um, that they ha- had, I think, five out of six of their shots on goal, right? Right after the double substitution that kind of mm-hmm. shifted the uh, momentum of the game, like, finally. And... I think to touch on the substitutions themselves, I mean, you know, I think this is definitely the hot button issue on RBNY Twitter this week, right? Like, I think, I think definitely what people are trying to think of or ask 
are asking is what exactly was Chris Armis thinking in throwing on Derek Etienne for Florian Velo to, to work in the center of the pitch. And, you know, I think when we talked about this game being the very best and the very worst that Chris Armis had to offer as head coach, like this was kind of the moment where it all kind of fell apart for Chris on the day. Right. You know, I think, um, you know, I think I will credit him because, you know, Oh, he, after all, in spite of what happened on on Tuesday, like one fact remains true. And that is the fact that he is the only head coach in the history of this club to have brought the team back to a series win in a series where they dropped the first leg. And that was against Greg Berhalter's Columbus in the 2018 playoffs. No other manager in club history had done that. And he was well on his way to notching number two against a higher pedigree opponent until this moment, which I think kind of unraveled everything. And it's just a tremendous shame that it did. Because, I mean, uh, I mean, the simple fact of the matter is that um, I think considering the game state of where the game had kind of progressed to at that point, the game was kind of calling out for someone who could kind of get on, who could kind of help stabilize our midfield a bit more, right? Because I think at that point, Velo had kind of gassed out. Omir had kind of gassed out. And Sean Davis was kind of being left in an island all by himself trying to cover for a whole bunch of space that was suddenly opening up. And, you know, as good as Sean is, like, he's not going to be able to put out fires by himself. And I think that kind that's kind of showed over the past few years, right? So as a result of that, like, you know, like this was definitely calling out for a game where the, the, the game state was calling out for someone to come in and try and stabilize and add some bite in that midfield, you know, and, I think throwing on Derek Etienne into that position was a very premature move considering the game state. It was a move that was made specifically with the intent of going for the jugular and scoring a third goal to prevent it from going to penalties. I understand the idea in theory. I think it's very admirable, but I also think it's very naive that that was the move that was made in that particular moment. You know, because I really do think that it might have been better served like throwing on someone to try and stabilize the midfield first before going for the jugular, you know? Yep. It's a bit like trying to assemble a couch from Ikea and you don't <laughs> put like the little like supports to help the legs like stand so that when you set the sofa up on the legs without the supports, like the whole thing falls apart and it collapses. And that's kind of what we saw, you know? In Did you find this out from Gaku? <laughs> I'm actually Gustavo Casasola, you guys. <laughs> I, I, I just drank my coffee because <laughs> it's like fucking nine in the morning here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think um, that's basically what it was. I guess to use another stunted metaphor, it was kind of like if the ending of the 300 where Leonidas is gearing up to throw the spear at Cersei's as his last stand. Instead of ending up throwing the spear, he just kind of falls over and impales himself on it. You know, I think the simple fact of the matter is, is um, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot with these substitutions. Uh, I don't know, like, uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, w- what made Velo there work so well uh, in the beginning was he he had energy and he was able to cheat 
a little bit by pushing by pushing up uh you know playing playing alongside a, a, a kaku and kind of drifting drifting around but still you know kind of falling back and tracking back as he got tired though you could see that hole that 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 was being created you know it, it is absolutely naive for what he did i mean <laughs> I, i'll give it to him i mean he he went for it i guess <laughs> um just in the worst possible way i mean I guess where I kind of stand is that like, if, if he makes the defend, if he makes that move for, for someone who can, uh, kind of settle, settle, uh, settle things down a little bit. And then we still concede a couple of goals. I can't help but wonder how the conversation ends up being because right. no, I think that's fair. Because we've heard, we've seen Jesse, and I think now everyone can now understand why sometimes Jesse would play a little conservative sometimes towards the end of the game, um, even if even in games where it didn't work. But I can't help but feel like if he did make that decision, and we end we ended up kind of you know faltering, giving up a couple goals. If maybe the conversation would end up being, you know, we need another goal. We didn't have enough, you know. We didn't have enough attack, attack, uh, attackers on the field. We put it. We should have put another attacker. Which this is the weird thing. My hindsight, you you can, you know, you, the conversation can go any way. Once you know, once you know the past, it's easy to 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 pick it apart. But me personally, I think that was an absolutely horrendous decision. Um, you're right. We saw the best and worst of 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 Chris, and I I feel like that maybe that works on 90, 95% of MLS teams. And I think where his, where he was naive was seeing how aggressive we were and how good we were when we were being aggressive and thinking that we can maybe if we, if we turn up a notch by putting in, you know, two attackers, maybe we can kind of regain that, that attacking confidence and pushing forward. And that I can I can understand that mindset, but I, I think that's a little naive because I think it was pretty clear at that point that we needed that they needed some more defensive stability. Um, yeah, and you know it, it's it's and it's funny though because when I first saw the lineup, I'm like, wow, this is a super attacking lineup. This is awesome. But then kind of like came the subs. I'm like, wait, we don't really have that many people uh, to kind of provide a little bit of uh, uh, defensive stability. And I think that's when I started getting a little nervous. Um, that that was kind of about it. Uh, once those once those subs. In fact, I remember I can't. Remember, I think it was Brian Rice who um, uh, who quote tweeted the, the the team's tweet when they when they subbed in uh, Matthias and um, and Etienne, and he was like, "Nice." So who's going to be our who's going to be our our other center mid? And I mean, we saw what happened right afterwards. Um, you know, it. All I can ask is for him to 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 learn from this from this moment and i think for the most part he has learned from from you know certain stupid mistakes i think maybe sometimes i think maybe like last year he his his hands were kind of tied in some things he was able to do um in response to certain things but like you said you know we saw what happened after columbus it wasn't a huge oh my god comeback but it was still a comeback you know something that no other team would know you know it just that wasn't a thing Maybe it was a maybe it was a big shock to people because we've never done it before. I guess I don't know. Um, I, I just hope that he learns from this. And and unfortunately, we're not going to see him in a moment like that until you know the U.S. Open Cup. 
you know, we're going to see again how he manages, you know, tough moments like that, you know, swings of, of momentum in a game. And, and hopefully he remembers this. Hopefully he remembers all the decisions he made from, you know what? I can put out a very, very, very aggressive starting lineup against a very good team and have the confidence that we're going to get the goals we need. That's a, that's an amazing positive. And that makes me feel good. It makes me feel good knowing that we were able to put up that attacking lineup that we did, despite all the people who think that we don't have a strong attacking, we that we're not strong enough on the attack. We were able to put two goals in two minutes because they finished their chances against the Liga MX team. On the flip side, I hope that Chris learned that against the best, you have to be smarter. You have to be precise because, again, those margins are very thin. And you know what? Even in MLS playoffs, the margins are thin. In U.S. Open Cup, the margins are thin. In big games, regardless of the level of competition, margins will always be thin. How good the the opposition is will determine how thin those margins are. But the point is, for me at least, he needs to understand that you have to be a little smarter with 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 those kind of decisions. And it would have been okay if if we just scraped by and, and went to penalties. Maybe we lose. Maybe, you know, maybe we do make the right sub and we still lose. I don't know. But his job as a manager is to take these moments. All the moments previous under Jesse, under uh, under himself, and use all those and make better decisions going forward, and and that's all we can ask for. Yeah, I think you know, I mean, um, certainly from you, you bring up a pretty good point, and I think um, the idea here is that um, I think I tweeted this after the game is that. It, the, what kind of cost us in the, in this game was kind of like the same thing that kind of cost us in the away a leg in Atlanta last year, right? I think it was very much a similar situation where we were down, or at least we wanted to go for some kind of goal to try and like give us some kind of lifeline going into the second leg. Only that this time, you know, it was already a second leg. And but the point of the matter is that like I think. There's start. There was a bit of an emergent trend going on here that you know I think as you said like Jesse would kind of have the noose to kind of know when to play a bit more conservatively. He'd kind of have the noose to kind of um, know when to try and short sh- try and uh, shack up shop, you know, close down shop and just sh- as grind grind it out. But here I think you could kind of see an emergent trend, and you know I mean like it's still not a very conclusive sample because I think he has a lot there's still a lot of potential that he can learn and grow from this moment, but you're starting to see a bit of an emergent trend, I think from how a similar game state was managed away in Atlanta, that Armis is definitely more of a gambler than Jesse is in many ways. Right. Yeah. I think like both games, I think going for the big payoff, even though it carried the higher risk ended up, you know, I think with it costing us the game, unfortunately, but as you mentioned, I think have the, the the mind is his mind is kind of in the right place in my opinion. Sometimes with going with, with being super aggressive and going for it, but the execution of it, you know, s- does stand to be much improved upon. And it, that to me requ- involves getting a better understanding of game states and kind of knowing that. I think as someone in the, my um, mentions. On Twitter, I think it was this uh, user Raishu, and I really do en- think like this little piece of insight that he gave is that like Chris kind of has to learn that you don't always have to swing for the fences 
and go for the biggest possible payoff, you know, like sometimes, and, but, you know, again, like, I think as you also mentioned, you know, it's easier for us to criticize these things in hindsight with the full knowledge of what happened. And, you know, I think, you know, it, it is true. Like maybe we do throw on an extra midfielder to try and stabilize the midfield and we end up conceding anyway. And the narrative becomes, why did Chris decide to place? Why did Chris, sorry, why did Chris play it safe? Why did Chris, you know, um, give up so easily on the tie when you could have gone for the jugular and won it, you know? Yep. I think it, it, you, you weren't going to please everyone with this situation. And unfortunately, like um, the outcome happened where it was probably the worst possible outcome considering the option that he ended up yeah, taking. I, I don't think but, anyone would have expected four goals in nine minutes, regardless of... Let alone of, that last one, man. Like, Jesus Yeah, Christ. and that, that's like, kind of on Robles on that one. I mean, I know he, he plays a little higher up. Um <laughs> You know, them, them most keepers, but I mean, he was way, 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 way pushed up at that point, uh, which, which maybe that makes it, maybe it wasn't, if look, four goals is four goals, but maybe it wasn't as, would have been as bad if it was just the three, but that fourth one and the kind of goal that it was, I mean, that was just, that was the final knife. I mean, that was, that yeah, was that, it. The, the, that was salt in the wound, you know, like yeah. the comeback was done. Decided to do like a fucking alley-oop off the backboard in a, like a 360 dunk. <laughs> that was, that was kind of what that was. You know, I think, uh, um, I think that's what definitely was like the salt in the wound for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and I just, and, and like, I, again, I want to make it very clear that I am 100% against, uh, 100% against his decision with his subs, I thought there were there, there was there were no positives at all about those subs. Yeah. But what I find to be interesting is it it's definitely on the on the near opposite end of what Jesse used to do. Jesse would probably have switched to, to the five in the back, and to me that would have been horrendous because at that point you're inviting pressure. We saw that so many times uh, uh, when he would switch to the back. Sometimes you know you you start inviting pressure a little bit and. And, it, you know, against a quality team like that, you're probably still going to concede. So for me, I think I've now seen Jesse being very conservative with with sometimes going to the five in the back. And I've seen Chris Armas thinking, he, you know, we're at Yankee Stadium, uh, uh, you know, playing baseball, going for a fucking grand slam instead of just going for the line drive. Yeah. And so now I feel comfortable in, 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 in feeling like, okay, we've seen both ends of the extreme here. Now it's Chris's job to understand that mistake. Maybe, maybe he saw those mistakes that Jesse made, and maybe he felt, no, you know, in these games we should have been a little more aggressive, which, I mean, I'm sure there are there are in, in certain games that is a viable argument. Maybe the option isn't to, you know, uh, destroy your, your, your uh, center mid and just find a middle ground of, of, of just finding – trying to find a balance of – being able to still be very aggressive um, and and try to get goals, but while not exposing yourself so 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 badly, the way he did, especially against uh, a quality team like that. Again, I don't think any team in MLS could ever pull off what Santos did, not even close. But it doesn't matter whether it's four goals or not. We we were even at that point. Even just one goal, even just one goal could have potentially wiped us out. So yeah. f- forget the four goals. Just that first goal, they were up now. 
And now we have to chase for, and now we have to, again, chase for that third goal. So going down the line, he, he needs to understand that balance and, and, and just learn when to, when tread that fine line of, of, of when to be aggressive and maybe when to kind of just try to balance things out a little bit. Yeah. I think, um, uh, what is it? Like, I think to go back to this, to, to the idea of game state before we move on to, I think one question in the mailbag that we had about this specific topic, um, I think to go back to this idea about game states, I think, you know, it was clear. I think, as you said, it was even Santos were firmly in control of the game, but they weren't being like particularly threatening, you know? So even though they were like vaguely threatening and they were having a better spell of possession, uh, going into the substitutions, like it was pretty clear that the status quo as it was, was pretty non-threatening. Right. I think like Santos, we were just mostly trying to pepper shots in 25 yards, but weren't really getting any super clean looks in the center of the field. Despite the fact that, you know, they were passing around with ease. They weren't really, um, they, they didn't, they weren't getting the overloads that they wanted in the center of the field to really, really do some super threatening stuff. And it was only until the substitutions came on that that just kind of unraveled, right? Like, I think, as I mentioned earlier, five of your six shots on goal happened after the substitutions came on, which kind of really does indicate to me that the space that they were looking for and the space that they're trying to work and create just opened up so much more because because nobody really, because all the roles at that point had kind of gone out the window by, you know, players playing roles and positions that they were pretty unfamiliar with. And, um, but... I guess to kind of wrap, wrap up, I think, a conversation on this uh, on the game against Santos Laguna, we have a question from uh, Demonio that I kind of want to read because I think it's very appropriate for um, discussion of uh, this um, particular facet of the game. So before I read out the question again, I'd like to thank everyone for sending out questions. It's a very full mailbag this week. We always love engaging with you guys. So uh, Demonio asking, should Armas have been more conservative with his subs? Wheel, Bezicourt, Ivan knowing that it would have taken us to penalties or was the Santos go ahead goal inevitable given their strategy. And I think, you know, I think we did touch upon this to a degree um, with regards to the game state in regards to whether he should have been a bit more conservative or a bit not. I think the consensus between me and Fernando is, is that like considering the state of the game? Yes. But I think this question as well also brings up a very interesting facet that I think was slightly touched upon earlier right this idea of options off the bench and how even the options off the bench kind of um what is it how the options off the bench were kind of set up in a way that favored a very bold strategy even like a very bold attacking strategy um there weren't a lot of defensive options on this bench right i think um our so-called best defensive attacker and Alex Muell didn't even make the 18. Um, the only, and the rest of the options on there were definitely geared vert with the attack of just going, throwing the kitchen sink at Santos, no matter what it was. So I think, you know, I think this is another learning moment, I think for Armis. And I think I want to stress that I stress learning a lot in his case on this podcast, because He's still a first-year manager. He hasn't finished his first year in charge as head coach of this team, and he definitely has a lot of things that he still have as to learn and pick up as he goes along. You know, I think we have to stress that we kind of do, 
have to be patient with him for the time being. And hopefully down the line, he'll figure it out. And this is another thing that I think would be good for him to learn is that like, even the way that you set up your bench, I think going into games like this can have an impact on the game. You know, I think it was pretty clear that the game plan for this whole time was to go for the jugular. And even the bench options were catered in a way they're like showing up shop didn't seem to be the agenda in the day. You know, and I think it kind of does reflect the very, again, you know, this kind of naivety, I guess, you know, because because you knew that you're going to have to substitute Velo at some point because he was going to gas out. Yeah. And I think on the topic of Florian Velo, like, I think it's pretty clear that he may not necessarily be 90 minutes fit yet, but he's getting there. But back to the matter is, is that you knew that with that, that considering the state of some of the personnel in the starting lineup, that you weren't going to be able to get 90 minutes out of everyone who started that day. And the attacking substitutions, and I'm sorry, and the, and the um, composition of the bench is very much geared towards continuing that as opposed to moving to a new strategy in context of whatever game state arises. You know, I think it's very clear that Chris had a plan going into this game, but he hadn't, but he didn't quite have a plan for every possible scenario. Is what I'd kind of put it down as, and the bench options kind of reflected that. You know, I I have. I have this feeling that perhaps uh, that maybe his plan or his frame of frame of, of, of mind at that point was um, Santos at that before the sub Santos was definitely like gaining momentum. I think that was clear to everyone, but they, I don't think there was a super, super, super dangerous uh, a moment, at least not from what I remember. I get the feeling that perhaps his, his, his reading of the game state was if we put out some attacking attacking subs, maybe we can be aggressive like they were earlier in the game, maybe cheat a little bit and maybe get that third goal, and you still have Riza in your back pocket to at some point sub in and maybe lock things down. Um, it, it didn't happen because at that point you need as many goals as possible, so fuck it, just go for it. Um, but I, I, I wonder if that's that's where his mind was because, uh, yeah, he made two subs. He still had one left. And I, I, again, I, I wonder if, if his if, if, if his reading of the game was we're, we were knocking on the door for a third. He Maybe he felt the momentum shifting too much. And maybe he felt like, you know what, just be a little bold, gamble, and try to get that third. And maybe after 10 minutes or so, if, 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 you know, if it's not coming or sh- momentum is continue, you know, continuing the shift, then you could put Rizzer on there. And now at that point, you can balance things out and kind of just, you know, lock the game a little bit, which I don't think is a terrible. I mean, look, sometimes you're going to be a little ballsy. Sometimes you're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to gamble and I'm okay with gambling. But the thing with gambling is, is sometimes you lose everything. And that's kind of what happened. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sometimes you, 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 know, when you go all in, you go all in, you either win it all or you lose it all. And unfortunately, you know, he went all in as naive as it was. Um, I, I, again, I, I just, that's, that's what I think maybe his mind was and, and it backfired. You know, it, it's, yeah. I don't, again, I don't think anyone could have possibly expected that, uh, that many, you know, that many goals. Now, Etienne himself, I think was fine to put in cause he did well. I think, I think he's done well in every game he's played so far this year. Like this, this is at least for me personally, I think this might be the biggest clear jump in like how he's played from one year to the next. Um, 
I still have concerns about how he fits really into how the team really wants to play. Is I think he does slow the game down too much, even though he's a physically fast player. But I think he's done fine. So I'm okay with him coming in. I just just not for Velo at that time. And and you either only bring in Etienne or or you bring in Etienne and Riza. Like you, you don't bring in Etienne and, and you don't bring in uh, 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 Maddie at, at that at the same time. Like that that was just yeah, yeah. I think um, I, I, I like to specify that, like, I don't think any of the um, blame can really be shifted on Etienne himself because no. he was put into a really difficult situation in that state, you know. And I think um, it comes down to putting players on the platform to succeed, which I criticized Jesse for quite a fair bit mm-hmm. towards the end last year. And I'm, you know, it's like you have to kind of tar Chris with the same brush in this one incident, unfortunately. Absolutely, is that. I don't really think that the, like those substitutions really putting the players that you brought in on a position where they could succeed. You know, I think it's unfortunate, but it's a, it's a fact of the matter. And I think Derek Etienne was kind of sent out there, unfortunately, to fail. Anything, any sort of transgressions that you may feel towards Derek Etienne on the day, like I don't really think that they're on the player himself, you know, because the player is just going to go out there, do whatever's asked of him. You know, it's the same with Connor Laid. They're going to go out there and do the best job that they can possibly give on the day. And it's up to ma- it's up to the manager to put them in a position where they can succeed and do their best. And I don't really think you saw that, unfortunately. And that's kind of the other thing with substitutions for me. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, with with Etienne, I think there's there can definitely be two two separate conversations here when, for this particular game. I think there are valid con, you know concerns, even though he's been playing well. I do think there are still some valid concerns as far as him as a player, you know, and and how he really really fits uh, what I think the direction of the team is going. But separate from that is is this game. Look, he's done well. That's not a game that you can really you could really rag on him too much at that point. Cause like you said, he just, he just wasn't put um, in, in, in the best possible position to, to really kind of show himself um, as far as laid, you know, laid has been a very, 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 very hot topic. I think for not just us, but I mean, we see it a lot on, on, on Twitter and discussion group and, 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 you know, all over social media. And I, I feel like I understand why, Chris and Jesse have always praised laid and it's one of those things where, and I've been talked into this frame of mind. Um, I think it's one of those things where it's just like the intangibles, you know, there's just certain things beyond the, the, the physical ability of a player that sometimes can maybe sway a coach or sway a manager or, or, or make you, I guess, kind of more valuable in that moment. And there were, even though Laid definitely broke down a little bit as a game went on. I mean, again, I think Santos started really, you know, focusing on him quite a bit at a certain point. And I do think he was not, he was directly and indirectly involved in at least one of the goals. But there were some moments where he did something that I was like, I get it. That was experience. That was that was him just understanding the moment and making the right decision. And that saved a potential, uh, a potential goal scoring chance or, or some a dangerous moment. And it's something that I don't know if maybe Duncan has developed yet, or maybe Amir hasn't developed yet. Like there, I, I've been talked into maybe seeing him differently in what he brings, 
you know, it's easy to focus on what a player doesn't bring. And I feel like maybe sometimes when you're looking for certain stuff, it's easy to focus on, on, on again, what's not being brought to the table and what they are bringing. But since it's so kind of just tunnel vision into what you're looking for, you're not seeing the other stuff. I still don't think he, he fits at all at, at, at the highest level that we need in that position. I still think that he's definitely uh, a, a considerable reason why we faltered at Atlanta and, and even even in the two legs, why why we were put at at least a slight disadvantage versus having Duncan or Kamar out there. But I think I can understand if I kind of change my my focus a little bit onto some of the the, the veteran things that that him at his age, he's been in MLS for, for a long time and has been has been used in different positions and different uh, formations and, and different types of teams and styles and, and, and all that stuff. I guess I can see where that value comes in a big moment because I don't think I've actually ever seen Laid mentally break down. If there's one person yeah. who I always see hustle 100% for the entire game and never put his head down, it's Connor Laid. And little intangibles like that in big moments, I can I can I'm willing to accept if that is the reason why he keeps being put in these positions. Because while yeah, Duncan is definitely a better player than him and a significantly better fit, in a moment like this, those little moments can make or break, I think. And and maybe maybe that's why. I don't know. Right. No, I think I think that's definitely um, fair and valid. You know, I think uh, you know I think we 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 know he's capable of those really big games where he and he doesn't shy away from challenges. Right. I think we saw that um, we saw that at various times throughout the year last year. He's always going to go out and he's absolutely fearless in the way he is able to take on whoever he's sent out to go up against. And, you know, I think you can't really fault him for just trying to go out there and trying to do his job to yeah. the best of his ability, you know, because yeah. I think it, and it does it, harken back it does to get, the manager. It, it does get a little frustrating though sometimes when... It gets frustrating, I, yeah, but, yeah. you know, I think it's also still down to the manager trying to put their positions in right situations where they can do the right thing. But, you know, yeah. I think what you bring up is true. I think, you know, as much as... You, you know, we kind of do rag on Connor's limitations. You know, I think he does definitely have very big performances in him because of his fearlessness. You know, it's like a little, uh, he's like a pit bull, right? He's going to throw it out. He's going to be tenacious. He's going to, he's going to nip at your heels all game. And, you know, we saw it, you know, I think uh, he went up against, I mean, I did see it with my own two eyes after all. I mean, up in New England in 2017, he marked Kai Kamara out the game. Yeah. Like, that was awesome. You know, like Lade's capable of a, uh, putting on uh, big performances in big situations. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I th- and, and ultimately, you know, as he, he plays for the, uh, he plays for the crest on the front of the shirt with like intensity, every single game that I can't really fault him for, you know, and yeah. even in spite of his limitations. So I think on the topic of that, you know, I think I'm just going to move ahead to um, our stock ups and stock downs to uh, just kind of wrap up conversation on this game. And, um, I think stock ups for me, big ups, obviously, to Florian Velo and Omir Fernandez. And in the case of Florian Velo, particularly, like, I really hope he gets up to match fitness, like, sooner rather than later, because it's going to be really exciting, I think, um, to see him, like, um, 
see what he's capable of doing once he's more fully integrated. And sorry, no, no, not integrated. Sorry, I should say once he's more, f- once his conditioning's a lot better, and once he can go a full ninety without petering out or tiring out like he has the past two games. I think what I'm very encouraged by what I saw um, between him and Sean Davis in this game, and I can't wait to see what happens when he gets a bit more fit. Omi Fernandez for reasons that I mentioned, but I'm also interestingly enough going to give a stock up to Alex Muriel, even though he wasn't involved in this game. And the reason why I think that is is because I think we saw from last year that Muriel brought brought a lot of value to this team as this sort of late game energy sub um, who could kind of come on and come on, bring a lot of energy and bring a lot of defensive fortitude once he comes off the bench, you know? And I think he's a great weapon to deploy um, against tiring legs who, where if a team is kind of frustrated, been kind of frustrated by our press for about 60 minutes, you know, Mule coming off the bench for the last 30 is kind of has the potential to have this really averse psychological effect on our opponents, you know? It's like, oh, shit. Like... Here we've been pressed hard for 60 minutes, and now the hardest pressing guy on the team is coming off the bench to fuck us up up a bit more. You know, I think it, an analogy I've always enjoyed using in this incident, you know, is like how Sir Alex Ferguson would deploy Park Ji Sung. You know, like these are very important players to have on a championship team. And any time that you can throw out someone who's going to run people ragged and be tenacious for the last few minutes of the game, it gives you a massive psychological edge, potentially, you know. And yep. it allows you to capitalize on the mistakes of tiring and flustered opponents. And Wheel is perfectly great in doing situations like that, you know. So I think stock up to Wheel in context of this potential role. I think that's going to be it, it's a role that suits him very well, you know. And I think it goes back to situational deployment again. You know, I think he'd be a very good player to deploy in certain situations and in certain incidences, you know, and it, even. And, you know, like, even through all this, I'm still not ruling out this uh, potential that he has to work on his, the offensive side of his game a bit more. So, you know, I think definitely we, see, we, we saw his value through his absence, I think, in this game. Um, stock downs. Um, and this one's going to kind of pain me a little bit. I'm going to... I'm not actually going to give Chris Armas a stock down. Hmm. I think it was a very mixed bag. And in a game where you kind of saw the very good and the very bad, you know, I'm going to say that his stock kind of remains at the level it was for me last week. Cause I think, you know, we, I, I'm going to, I want to credit him for making adjustments. Um, but I'm also going to discredit him for kind of just kind of losing it with the substitutions. So I think for the, like a, the pros and cons just kind of weigh each other out significantly. Because everything good and bad on the day that happened happened with Chris at the center of everything, you know. So I think that's the reason for me why his stock kind of remains the same. Stock down for me, as I said, like it's going to pain me because I got his uh, his name on the back of my jersey this year. But Sean Davis, unfortunately, gets yeah. a stock down. I think like it was kind of brutal seeing him just be completely overmatched in the center of the field. And I think it's becoming even more abundantly clear that for all of Sean's like, you know, for as good as Sean is, he needs support in the center at that field, just because he's not going to be able to cover all of that as the lone so-called holding midfielder. I think that's becoming slightly clearer that he's definitely the player, the kind of player that's a bit like Sasha question. 
is going to bring the best out of the players who you surround him with. But he's not going to be the guy who's going to be able to shoulder something all by himself. You know, I think that's kind of kind of where it boils down to for me. And I'm also going to give a stock down on the day, unfortunately, to our defense once again. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of it does kind of boil down to the fact that um, they were kind of overwhelmed at that point. Uh, so I'm not going to give too much of a stock down to them. Um, but stock down, one last stock down, I guess. I didn't want to do it. I'm going to give a slight stock down to Brad. He was a kind of, but again, you know, like for most of the second half, he was kind of on an island. And I'm going to give, but but I think, you know, he there was a bit of a golden opportunity to put us up 3-0. And, you know, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, even in spite of the fact that, you know, he could have had notched a goal by now, he's still in a bit of a rut by his standards, you know, and I really hope he gets back on the score sheet sooner rather than later. And I think, you know, I think, it's worth pointing out that 2018 was a bit of an anomaly in his career because he got off to a fast start. Like Brad kind of is a bit of a slow starter to a start the season. So I'm not really panicking on him too much just yet, but it'd be nice to see him on the score sheet. I think um, this weekend, just so that he gets back in the right state of mind. How about you? Um, stock up. Definitely going to be uh, below. I mentioned this before, and I'm just going to mention it again. I, I, Velo was a huge missing piece uh, last year uh, once he got hurt. Um, and I, I think in, in his, you know, only short amount of appearances so far this year, we've definitely seen what uh, what he brings and, and, and why he's so why he is so important uh, to the team and, and, and how this team plays. So, yeah, he faded out a little bit and his passes, you know, started getting a little sloppy and, and, uh, as the game went on, but look, he's he's not match fit. You know, look, I, I'm actually surprised he's even playing. I think we talked about this last year, and I think we had him. I think we we did we 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 didn't expect him back until like April, if I recall. Like we all kind of just assumed he would be out. I mean, it was an e. It was I think it was his ACL or something. So I'm very happy that he's back now. And hopefully he can get, you know, he can get uh, a full match fit as quickly as possible. But we definitely saw uh, what he brings to the table. We definitely saw why he's so important. So huge stock up. Um, Fernandez, definitely a stock up. Man, he just turned 20 years old. Again, he was, he just, he was playing college soccer a couple of months ago. And his two starts... His two big starts were were in Champions League. I mean, and and he never looked out of place. He never looked out of place. He never looked phased. He never looked nervous. He never looked frazzled. I mean, my man went out there and he bowled out. That's that's amazing. He, he's gonna see he's gonna see teams like fucking Orlando or some other, you know, shit club and 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 just kind of just shrug his shoulders, you know, given the confidence he had against a team like Santos, you know, he he never again he never he never seemed phased that's the that that's an awesome amount of confidence to give such a young player um and and he's uh, he's definitely taking his chances so huge stock up uh my expectations for him this year are, are definitely pretty high um stock up to kamar because i think this is yet again 
another game that we saw how absolutely important he is, but not only he himself, but how important it is to have a Kamar-like player on that field, even if it's not just him. We saw how good Duncan was. Um, uh, we saw how 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 we we've seen now at this point. I think across multiple games, the difference between having between having Kamar there, having a Kamar-like player, and not having him there, or not having a Kamar-like player, and that golf I think is significant. So my stock up is is to Kamar. And uh, maybe we'll touch upon that news, uh, uh, I guess, after after this. Um, that's kind of it. I, I don't think there are really many other bright spots in the, the wholeness of the game um, after, you know, the 30 minutes. Uh, stock down. I was tempted to, to, to agree with kind of it evening out. Um, but I, I got to give I got to give uh Chris a stock down. And it's not even only because of the game. It's kind of related and unrelated to the game, but I have to say it's very, 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 very frustrating um as a fan being completely left in the dark about such an important player like Kamar. Okay. And Webb? No, I said oh yeah, that's fair. Oh sorry. yeah. So sorry, sorry. Oh no you're <laughs> um so Kamar not being in the 18 is 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 frustrating. But like if you don't know why he's in there, especially after he just recently played, it's easy to I mean for me it's easy to under, to to kind of figure it out. Like more than likely, you know, he he aggravated it fine, but like there needs to be better better communication. I know all that communication also comes down to the management, you know, it comes down to 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 Chris and 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 uh and, and Dennis, what do they really want? What message do they really want out there? We shouldn't be finding out that Kamar had knee surgery through a, a snippet of an article. You know, we we shouldn't be finding out that Bezicourt, uh, 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 you know, had had was getting surgery by someone's Instagram post. Like this is a pattern across not just Chris but even Jesse of of things not being um, transparent really to, to fans. And I don't see at this point what competitive advantage there was by leaving, by just not telling what was going on with, with Kamar. I, I just, to me, the whole thing is just weird and, and it's, and it's frustrating. Um, maybe it's a little unfair to give him a stock down, but I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like you, you can't have a player, you know, who's like basically be basically been day to day since November. And in the time of that, he's had knee surgery, he's played, he's not playing, and then now apparently he might play on Saturday. Like there's – to me that, that's I – don't, I, I don't like that. And, and, and as the manager of the team, to me that falls on him. Um, stock down is going to be uh, – is going to be Brad. I, I, I hate to give – I hate to do it. Um, to be fair to him, he has – he had an assist and, and he's had some good looks. He had a goal that was called back, but I will maintain that there's something off about him this year. There's something off. There's something different. I saw it again. That that could have been a third goal. I, I that that was another moment like the first leg where if we just finished our chances, we look better. This that was it. We get that third goal. I think it, I think it's a different game. I really do. At that point, maybe Chris now has more incentive to 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 be a little conservative earlier 
in the game instead of having to feel like he needs to go for the jugular. That's a big moment. I've, I've been a huge defender of, 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 of Brad, and I will forever be a huge defender of him, but he definitely did not help his case against a lot of the haters that, that say he's not a big game player. That was a horrible shot. I expect someone of his level to be able to get that. Um, and stock down Parker and Long. That was another game where they just looked like amateurs. Uh, I don't know what's going on with them, but it was it was horrific. I I I, I understand that they were hurt by not having a, a good enough uh, center mid pairing in front of them to, to to cover them. But I mean, even even Long said it himself, you you, you can't get you can't give up four goals in nine minutes like that. That's just absolutely unexcusable. It it's never acceptable for anyone, not for the coach, not for the assistant, not for the players, nobody. Under no circumstance should this team lose six to two on aggregate. And under no circumstance should this team give up four goals in nine minutes. We are better than that. We are way better than that. And that falls on everyone, not just the coach. At the end of the day, the back line has to sort their shit out. And both legs, they just looked absolutely hor- uh, horrendous. I don't know what it is, but I, they really got to get that sorted out. Um, and the last stock down is going to be, and I hate to do it, but I got to give it to Laid. Um, it, it, it feels a little unfair to, 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 to give him that because I'll admit he's, he's, he's being put on the field to, 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 he's being asked to do something that he can't do, but the, the fact remains he can't do it. And, 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 and it's, it's not a personal thumbs, you know, a uh, stock down to him. It's just him being on the field against the best teams will always be a liability. I, I, I think I'm, I think I'm willing to accept the, the intangibles and some of the other stuff that he brings to the table. I feel like I saw that, but I also saw the worst. It was like, Chris, you saw the best, you saw the worst. I saw moments where he, he cleaned things up and, and he made smart decisions. I also saw him, you know, needing 15 feet worth of a, of a head start to go in for a tackle, end up 10 feet away from him. And, and, and the, you know, the guy making a run to uh, run to goal. So I, I, I got to give it to him. Um, and I'm going to give it to Dennis actually, because for me, this is, (laughs) this is, this is, this is on Dennis to handle this stuff. You know, when Jesse was around, I definitely got the feeling that he was kind of in, maybe not in control, but it was definitely like a, a kind of a, a, a shared responsibility, I guess I can say with, with the roster building, like like Jesse definitely had, I feel a significant input. I mean, he did go, he flew out to Argentina. I don't know if Chris does that for an incoming player. I don't think if they're scouting a player, he's going to you know hop on a plane with Dennis to, to sit down and talk with him, which I think is okay. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Everyone's going to have their own, their own thing that that's okay. But at the end of the day, he's a sporting director and we've had this, this, this glaring hole at the left box at the left back spot. Since last year, when 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 Duncan got hurt, I, I I whatever whatever reasons they have for for still thinking Lade can can fill in, fine. I don't see how it's not extremely clear though that he can't do those things at the highest level. And if you are going to be a big club, if you're going to poise yourself as a big club, you got to make big club decisions, and you, you have to do what you have to do to fill that role. If Amaral wasn't going to be ready, 
I, I understand that he might be, he might, he, he very well may be being asked to, to, to learn and, 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 and grow into two different roles. I'm not going to put that on him, but you still have that spot open. There's a gulf between one through three and four in our left backs in our left back depth. And that's on him. It's his responsibility to do it. So I, I can't, I'm sorry. I, I have to, I have to give it to him until that, until that problem is sorted. In my opinion, that that's the stock down. Yeah. That's, uh, I guess, uh, I guess uh, with that in mind, uh, we'll move on to the, uh, I guess maybe uh, something to look forward to now, now that that's all, uh, you know, it's, it's history. It's all in the rear view mirror. We got to look forward now because uh, we have a match on Saturday. Yeah, but I think um, even though we've been back to Red Bull Arena twice, well, you guys have been back to Red Bull <laughs> Arena twice, I should say. Um, MLS, the MLS regular season home opener always feels really special, doesn't it? Like, yeah. even in spite of the fact that we were blessed with Champions League soccer again this year, there's something magical and something always kind of wonderful about an MLS regular season game for the first time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Wow. Um, for the first time of the of the year, Red Bull Arena, right? It's like kind of like uh, going to Disneyland for a lot of people in our fans. For, sorry, blah, 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 for a lot of people in our fan base. Um, so we're going to be opening the regular season at home. Sorry, I should say the home opener for the regular season at home to the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, I guess uh, to give a slight preview of what to expect from the San Jose A. Um, the big acquisition in the offseason was, of course, a name that will be very familiar to everyone who not only uh, maybe has been watching soccer for the last 10 or 15 years, but also going to be very familiar to followers of this team because uh, their big recruit in the offseason was none other than former Chivas manager Matias Almeida. And, um, you know, I think <clears throat> was a, it was a signing that I think a, a lot of people that got quite a fair bit of hullabaloo, actually. But no, he was announced that he was going to be the new Earthquakes manager because I think people were kind of impressed by what he managed to do with such a comparatively poor Chivas team, right? Guiding them to a Champions League victory while also just kind of, like, while also kind of just trying to keep them afloat because of how bad they've been, apparently in Liga MX in recent years. Um, they could, like, even in spite of them being really bad, they could have been a lot worse, apparently, if Almeida didn't just put together that very defensive-minded um, formation that kind of looked to mask a lot of their deficiencies. So now he go, so Almeida moves from one of the worst teams in Liga MX to probably the worst team in MLS. And that seems to be some growing pains so far, right? I think um, the early returns from San Jose have been, um, how do we put it, bad. <laughs> <laughs> coming into the uh, season, coming into their tie at Red Bull Arena with two losses in two games, um, losing to Montreal, I think, away in their first, and then being binned by Minnesota 3 0 at home. Oh, yeah. Is never a good feeling, I imagine. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, I guess with this in mind, um, 
kind of kind kind of the the kind of the same thing that I'm gonna expect. I think going into the this San Jose game as the San Jose game we went into last year. You know, I, I expect this to take care of this one really easily because I think this team, the team that we're going up against, uh, still hasn't quite figured out what their best look is. Their um, manager still apparently seems uh, is kind of struggling with uh, getting the best out of his personnel right now because I think it was kind of a very curious quote that uh, Almeida put out in the press recently where he says he needed more Mexican players on his roster. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> which is kind of – I mean, that's – I mean, I don't know. No matter which way you kind of slice that one, it really does kind of sound a bit goofy coming out of his mouth. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That locker room um, must be fun. Yeah, right. <laughs> Some fucking weird eugenic shit going on in San Jose. <laughs> um, so, I guess with this in mind, uh, I, like, I think we are gonna, like, I mean, this is a roster that even in spite of um, a lot in spite of some moves being made in the offseason, you know, it's still a roster that doesn't quite have a lot of immediate quality. You know, I think uh, a lot of the uh, guys who uh, we expected to kind of be their top guys stuck around after last year and are carryovers. I think um, they're big. um, Like, I I think, they have had moves attempted to try and improve the outlook on the roster. I mean, they brought in two Argentinians and Daniel Vega and Christian Espinoza, but um, they haven't really had much of an impact just yet. Um, another Brazilian was brought in, I believe, uh, Judson from Dombense, but he hasn't gotten a start yet either. Um, so for all intents and purposes, we're kind of going up against the same Quakes team that we went up against in San Jose last year and that was a comprehensive 4-1 win on the road where we got shit done like a club of of our quality is supposed to and I kind of have to expect that that kind of has to be the same especially in context of the fact that A, it's the home opener and B, I think the fans are going to be baying for a really good result to kind of wash the taste of uh, the uh, defeat against Santos Laguna out your mouth so I think you know, I think considering the quality of the opposition, like I think it would be fair to say that I kind of do have to expect a very comprehensive win at home. You know, I think uh, that'd be fair to say. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I know there's the whole, um, you know, CCL hangover shit or whatever. Um, we didn't experience it last year because I thought we did. We had a very good run. Um, this is different. Uh, this was definitely a a bit of a blow the way we came out. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we, you know, we kind of come out a little off, but I'm, I'm going to keep it real, man. San Jose is not a good team. Even, even, even if they go on the field, literally hung over, like if they actually like drink a lot of alcohol right before the game and like wake up from a nap and play hung over, I still expect a decisive win. San Jose is not a good team. I period. Um, anything other than a strong performance is going to be pretty unacceptable. I'm, I wouldn't be concerned. I would. 
I guess I'd be willing to kind of give him a little bit more time, but I, I, my expectations are pretty high for this game. Um, they have, they have, I think a lot to prove to the fans and they have a lot to prove to themselves. Uh, going from playing so well, let's say so well, going from being able to attack so well against a level like Santos to going against a team like San Jose is pretty significant. Like that, that's a big, a big gap in, in, uh, in quality, in my opinion. So I want to see some, some, some anger in, in them. I want to see some fight. I want to see that they're pissed off. I want to see that, that they felt that loss and, and that they want to prove a point that, uh, you know, this team is as good as, as a lot of people have said they are um, going into the season. And, and that, you know, four goals in nine minutes is absolutely not who they are. So, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, the whole season is down to one game, but this game I think has potential to, to, to set the tone for at least the immediate future. Um, if it's not a decisive win, you're definitely going to start hearing some, some chatter about, uh, uh, about this team in, in terms of their, of their mentality. So I, Again, San Jose is not a good team, man. I, they're really not. I have I have credit for uh, for what's his name, but I, I I have respect for him. I I don't think it's a good team. So I I wouldn't be surprised to see some rotation in this game. Um, but we 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 rotated an entire fucking team. You know, eight out of eight out of the eleven guys against Columbus, who were a playoff team uh, and a good team at that. We we went away and drew one one. So even if we do rotate a little bit. At home against a worse team, I, I want to win. Yeah, you know, I think considering like the quality of that our reserves have shown like in the past few years, like even if you do throw out a rotated lineup, like I think they proved it um, the uh, home opener last year, and we proved it on the road in Columbus this year that our reserve team is still good enough to beat maybe like what. 80 to 90% of teams in MLS. So even if you do rotate a little bit, you know, I think definitely there's enough quality top to bottom roster spots, one through 25 on this team that can comfortably beat one of the worst teams in MLS, like on paper, like at home pretty easily. And let alone with this factor of a manager who's still trying to figure out like what the, uh, what is it? What the what the so called best look for his side is. I know mm-hmm. that some people will probably think that this is really geared up to be a quote unquote trap game. Yeah, no, I'm gonna shatter that um, delusion like right now. Like, <laughs> like, guys, we can't go into this game thinking that this is gonna be a trap game yeah. if we want to really prove that we're gonna be the best MLS. Like, you have to go in expecting a professional win, no matter who gets trotted out there. You know, I think we have like. So, something that I'd like to see, obviously, I think, um, you know, I think it'd be good to some players, maybe like we can talk about that would be nice to kind of see in the day. I think this would be a good game to see what you can get out of Christian Caceres, for example. This would be a good game to try and uh, give Florian Velo uh, more minutes. And of course, the big team news, I think, going into this game uh, broke earlier today that Chris Armas said that the international man of mystery, Kamar <laughs> Lawrence, may be available for this game finally in spite of the fact that he wasn't listed in the uh, injury report the last few um the last few weeks i mean even the official team like media reports like listed him as probable yeah which i think was straying pretty far from the truth 
which we'll never know, of course, because this team can be really secretive the way the gay can do business. But if Kamar comes back into the starting lineup against San Jose, I mean, like, say what you want. I think I, I'd understand the frustration about why he may not be playing against Santos. But in a vacuum, if Kamar comes into the back line against San Jose, like, that, you have even more, like, reason to expect the win right there. Because, I mean, that's right there is the best defender in the team sliding back into your squad. Like, yeah. So, I mean, like, even more reason, reasons to feel comfortable about our ability to get a result at home. At home. And I stress at home because our home is a fucking fortress. You know, Connor Lade said it, his, it best last year. We bury teams in our house. Yeah. And that's basically what I want to see the team come out doing. And on the topic of this, like, maybe it'd be fun to see Matthias Jorgensen get a start, right? I think this would be a really good team to kind of blood him in against. Maybe he bags a goal or two and gets his confidence going and he hits the ground running from the start, you know, even after the uh, debacle in, in Torreon, which really wasn't the best um, opportunity for him to kind of come into. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I think all things considered, like, if we see some of those ro- names rotated into the lineup, you know, I think, like, a lot of quality here, a lot of potential to get um, some pretty extended looks at what some some guys will bring to the roster. It's a pretty interesting opportunity. It's another yeah. lineup that I'll be waiting for with very keen interest. One thing I will say too is is this is I'm not gonna say it's a big test uh, for Chris, but it's it's definitely gonna be somewhat of a test to see how he manages uh, the mentality of the team going into this game. Um, that's that's on him. That it's on him to 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 get this get this group to kind of collect themselves. Pick themselves up, and 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 you know maybe rationalize a little bit that that you know some of the stuff we talked about earlier about just at the end of the day things being pretty uneven in terms of overall just flat out quality, but also tying in you know making them responsible for their mistakes, letting them know that he takes responsibility too for some decisions, and and get them in a right mentality to go into this game. With 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 the understanding of all those things, and just go out running. Um, if they go out on this game and, and and they look sluggish and and they just look off and they look like they're still, you know, carrying the baggage of of the loss, uh, or, or or carrying maybe even some sort of, of resentment because maybe Chris doesn't you know take responsibility for some stuff, which I don't think he would do. He definitely seems like a, a kind of a straightforward dude. Um, but all this is on him. All this is on Chris. To manage these guys, I'll I'll give him a you know I think he deserves a little bit of wiggle room because every team that that bombs out like that might need a little bit of time. But I have high expectations for this team. If we're gonna trout, you know, if, if we're gonna you know talk about uh, uh you know being a big club, well, big club shit is picking you know picking yourself up and and just moving on. So, um, so seeing the team's mentality on, on Saturday is is going to be interesting. Uh, as far as a roster, I think it would be kind of cool if – so Jesse had men- – uh, Jesse, Jesus. Uh, Chris had mentioned when he, talk- when he talked about Kamar um, that they're not sure at what capacity he'd be available. So maybe he doesn't start. Maybe he makes a late-game sub to kind of just get him back into the groove of things. But it would be cool to see him and Duncan start. I could see Lade not starting if Kamar oh, – I hope – um, if, if Kamar's, you know, ready to start, um, Wade played a full 90, Amir played a full 90, Granny, who was suspended the previous game, so he shouldn't be tired, but I just, it would be good to see a little bit of a rotation there to kind of get, you know, kind of rotate guys and, and, and keep everyone fresh. Um, 
in all the positions, really. And and I think we kind of touched on this last week. We're like, I don't want there to be like a first team and a reserve team. I want there just to be a group of guys who, yes, m- may vary a little bit in, in how maybe good they are and in where they really rank in the overall you know, uh, depth chart, I guess, for their their respective position. But I still want to see smart rotation. I still want to see him put certain guys on against certain teams and 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 make you know make those kind of adjustments from the beginning, depending on what team you're going against. And when you have, I feel we have a lot of good players. You want to keep them. You know, you want to keep them in sync. You don't want you know you don't want to you know have them sitting in a bench for X amount of games and and you could just say goodbye whatever sharpness they're going to pick up. Um, I'm a little worried about maybe benching Brad though. I would love to see uh, Matthias go out, but if you put him out, I still think you should start Brad. I think the worst thing to do right now with Brad is bench him because he is a notorious slow starter and benching him is not going to fix that. And I, we don't know where his confidence is. I'm sure he's maybe thinking a little bit in the back of his head about his age and, and, and he knows Matthias is kind of sitting in the wings. You don't know where he is. So part of this too is I think managing him in the right way and his mentality. So I think he should start, maybe partner up, you know, go two up top, make adjustments if it doesn't work later on. But um, I, I actually think he should start. Yeah, I think um, that, 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 that does bring up an interesting point because there is a bit of a conundrum here because your star striker needs a goal to get some kind of confidence going. But it's also a really good opportunity to give you give extended auditions to certain depth players on the roster to make a case for more minutes, right? So, I think um, one thing that we've seen again from Chris Armas is like his his a uh, his a uh, willingness to give guys more minutes if they prove something in the time that he gives them. And we've already seen one incidence of this happen this year with Andreas Ivan, right? So I, think, I want um, I want him on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. I think I think um, you know I think um, there's going to be some trial and error again with these early games going, and it does harken back to Fernando's idea about trying to uh, the ideas I should say that Fernando and I have espoused down here, and trying a whole, a whole trail mix combinations and don't, uh, not delineating first choice eleven from second choice eleven, right? Like I think ideally this idea that we throw out and want to see trail mix lineups is kind of part of this trial and error phase to begin the season. You know, I think there's rotational weirdness because of CCL, but it's also kind of some weirdness because you want to see what some of the new guys can bring to the table. And I think for the first few games of the season, that's why we don't really throw out all these statistics or throw out all these uh, massive sweeping conclusions just yet. You know, we talk a lot about potential because you're still going to need certain things on the team to gel, like things that we touched upon in this episode earlier with the new midfield pairing, after the new midfield pairing to potentially accommodate for the fact that you don't have Tyler Adams around anymore. That's going to be another thing that I think will be carried into this game, that we might see a new midfield pairing altogether. It might be two new guys completely separately to see what they can bring to the table in the competitive fixtures. I mean, like you can say that preseason is the time for experimenting or everything. I really don't think that that's always the case because... You know, you, you don't really get a good barometer of what certain looks would give until they're put into competitive fixtures and teams are giving it their all. You know, it's not some glorified fitness routine where people are trying to work up their touch or their fitness again after a long season off. No, like the best barometer for certain new looks is putting them out in competitive lineups 
and seeing what they can bring in these in, in context of competition. So I wouldn't rule out more. I wouldn't rule out some experiments here and there to see what those guys can bring, you know. And I think that's why I'm not really going to throw out anything too conclusive just yet. I think to kind of run a long story short and what has become a bit of a tangent on this whole conversation is that um, you kind of have to give make, give some leeway for the first few games of the season because I think every manager is still trying to figure out what they can do with their new toys. Even with a team like us that plays in a very set way, there are still some parts of the team that are in transition and there's still some parts of the team that is going to that we're going to need to give some time to like settle and gel, you know, going forward. And the hope is that the magic can figure it out. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we've, we've talked about it before that you, you simply can't replace Adams. You can't go to the market right now and just buy another Tyler Adams unless you buy him again. It's just, (laughs) you know, that that's, that's the only way you're replaced unless you, or you fucking clone him, you know, it's just, it's just not going to happen. And people, I see a lot of people, you know, Oh, you haven't replaced Tyler Adams. You're never going to replace him. Period. Get the idea of replacing Tyler Adams. What you can do is replace what he does. Now, how you do that can be in a lot of different ways. We talked about that. You know, you can you can spread his his responsibilities on 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 certain guys. You have to understand your players, and you have to understand what their limits are, what they can do. Um, and and that's going to take a little bit of time. There's going to be a little bit of lear- of a learning curve. Davis and 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 Rizzo might work fantastic against certain styles against certain teams. It might be an absolute fucking catastrophe against another team. It's up to the manager to know that, know their strengths and weaknesses and adjust. And it doesn't matter if it's Chris or anybody else, any manager in this position would have to do that. When you lose such a unique player like that, who was so important to your team, it and you lose that player, it's up to you to figure it out. And that's okay, but you have to give that room. You have to give that the opportunity to see that happen. The good thing is, I think we do have a decent amount of of guys who can play in that in that position, that role, that give enough different looks where you can kind of mix and match to find the right spot. But again, it's going to take some time. How long that takes, we're going to have to find out. I'm sure sometimes it's going to look like a disaster. Sometimes it's going to look fucking amazing. We we just have to wait and see how that. We just have to wait and see how that looks. Um, So, I think I'm not saying that people have to manage their expectations. Like, you know, we're going to fucking lose. You know, we're going to drop points for the next month until they figure this shit out. Not at all, because I think regardless of what you do, I think we're good enough against most MLS teams where we can still, you know, handle it and still figure it out. But to 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 get that that those those sweet spot uh, uh, partnerships is gonna is gonna take a little bit of time, and I, I think people should should be a little little forgiving with just a little bit of time to for for them to figure that stuff out. Yeah, and I think I guess uh, now we'll just move on to a quick score prediction before we get into some of the questions. Um, and I think I want to set the ch- I want I want to challenge the team again. I think, and I don't mean challenge in like a very negative way. I think it's a very good healthy challenge for them to set because I think um, considering the quality of the opposition and what we saw last year is that there is a lot of quality on this roster. So my challenge to the team going into this game is to match the result of the home opener last year where we binned Portland of our reserves. You know, I think 
I'm going to set the bar there. I think the minimum I'd be satisfied with is a 4-0 victory, considering the quality that we have in this team. We have to bin a team like San Jose, like plain and simple. If you can match that, if even exceed that, I'd say job well done. But, you know, I think while I would be very happy with a win, I'd like to set the challenge of us matching that result from last year. So I guess that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to ask for a 4-0 win. Yeah, I mean, even if you drill down specifically to the very first game after the, the CCL knockout, it was four days later when Gaku was magically ready enough to start. Um, we beat Montreal three to one, and I, if from what I remember, it could have been even it could have been a bigger scoreline. So there's a precedent in my mind that this team can can come back from getting knocked out. Granted, it was a lot worse this year. But there's a precedent for this team that they can come out after a big loss at home and take care of business. So I I, I can see this team putting like five by San Jose. If they play like at their best, I legit can see like five goals going by them. But I'm going to go with like my minimum needs to be a strong three to nothing win. If it's like a strong three nothing win, we're like, they probably could have put four or five, fine. But if it's like one of these squeaky one nothing wins, two nothing wins, or even worse, a draw or loss, I'm not going to be happy about that. I think regardless of what happened on Tuesday, going up against a team like San Jose, I at home on the opener, I, I expect a big result. I expect a statement win on Saturday. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think we have consensus then. So uh, now we'll move on to. Uh... What is a very full mailbag? Um, we'd like to say that um, we apologize if uh, we don't read your question out here because, uh, you know, I see 10 questions in the mentions, but I only, about it, by my count, uh, I can only see eight. So I think two were from behind a locked account. So um, whoever's on a locked account and sent in the question this week, uh, we're sorry that we can't read it. Um, so, uh, and we'll try our best to uh, try and figure out uh, who it is. So maybe. Um, our DMs are open. Give us a shout uh, if you sent us, us a question in this week and we weren't able to read it. So um, we're going to start open with a question from a friend of the show, Patrick Dawan. Thanks, Pat, for the question. How would you rotate your DMids early on this season with the goal of finding a complementary pairing gelling well come summer? And I think this goes back to what we were touching on upon earlier with the regards to experimentation with the lineups. Um I think when it comes to, um, I think if you find something that sticks, like I think it would be fair to kind of, if you find something that sticks, to try and trot it out for as long as possible to see how long it goes uh, before, to, to just kind of get a better like valuation of what the midfield pairing looked like but also to kind of give those two guys time to gel and hopefully they can become um, the new center of midfield pairing that we need. So as it currently stands, I think the status quo of what I've seen is that I currently think that Davis and Velo is the best center midfield pairing that we've seen so far. And I kind of like the look of that pairing because it also opens up the right wing spot for Omir Fernandez to get more minutes and from what we've seen of those two so far, I think having them on the field together is going to be a humongous net benefit. But obviously we know that right now, Velo's not quite ready to go 90 minutes just yet. So what I would suggest is that you start out with those two, but then you also make time for someone coming to sub in to get an audition, right? 
So this could be Caceres, this could be Riza. That sort of should be like sort of like the first um, thing to um, that you start with. You know, you stick with you. You try and maybe stick with something that has proven to have worked, and then you give then on days where the incumbents have off days, you sub one of them out to give one of the understudies an audition for a bigger role going forward. And I think that should be the rotation going ahead. Make it make it a competition for those defensive midfield spots. And whoever shows the most becomes the lockdown pairing by maybe the summer. It sh- should be should be what I think it is. Yeah, I think I think I'm with that. I mean I I, I still I want to expand on that and saying that because we have such I think a, we have a relatively diverse group of players who can play in those positions. I think I want to expand on that and saying not just the the just the best pairing, but the best pairing per situation and the best pairing against certain styles and against certain teams. I want that flexibility. I want the flexibility of of knowing that no matter what style of team we go against, there's an answer because we don't have again, we don't have Tyler Adams to who one man was able to do so much. So I think I, I like you said, I, I agree with everything you said. The the only thing again I would expand on, I, I want that idea just across multiple styles. And that's just gonna take a little bit of time, I think. Yeah. Um, the next one coming from the Enigma known as Ben Mind Stan. Um, do you think CCJ would have helped and what role do you see for him this year? I think helped in context of the Santos game. Um, I'm not really sure, to be honest. I think he's kind of a wild card in this situation. Um, the knock against him is, of course, his general lack of big game experience, but you don't get big game experience if you don't play in big games, right? It's one of those yep. kind of weird, like, <laughs> one of those weird paradoxes. You know, it's kind of like the difference maker paradox. He's not a difference maker until the difference is made. You can't swim, so- <laughs> until, you go- you can't swim until you go into the water, right? Exactly, yeah. So, um, but I think... As it's written so far, I think they definitely see Caceres as being a bit more of like the top understudy role that Mark Tchaikovsky was to start the season last year. But it also seems that with Velo's emergence as a viable option in center midfield, that Riz has been relegated to the Rizza role again. <laughs> so um, I think, you know, I think, again, I'd like to stress that it would be a really good um, opportunity to trot out Caceres there alongside someone else in midfield against San Jose because he is going to need those minutes and I really do think that as it currently stands he kind of fills the I think I can foresee him kind of filling the role that Vincent Bezicourt filled before he went down to his uh, knee injury last year and that he's like the third or fourth I think fourth choice fourth option off the bench potentially um, at center midfield so he'll rotate in for cup games or um, games where we're playing uh, or games where squad rotation is going to be needed. And squad rotation is going to be needed a lot, particularly in summer this year, because we'll be missing quite a fair bit of some of our regulars to international duty. So I think there'll be minutes in the pipeline for Christian Caceres. I think it's kind of inconclusive to say how much he really could have helped in Santos against Santos. So I'm not really... So I'm, I'm going to cop out and say, I can't really say... And I'm not really confident in really commenting on how much Christian Caceres Jr. would have helped our chances in uh, 
Torreon on Tuesday, but you know, so yeah, that's yeah. where that's where my head's kind of at. Casper is right now. Yeah, I'm a coward. I'm gonna I'm gonna cower out and say, yeah, I kind of don't know. I mean, um, I I like him. I like what I see, and 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 you know, I think he definitely we've seen the other kind of the quality he brings and whatnot. But um, I'm I don't know. I, I don't know if, if I think skill set wise, he probably wouldn't have been okay, but I'm just not sure if, if, if kind of that leap of a big of level of, of, of a big game would have been uh, too much. I mean, I probably, you could also say that with Fernand with, with, uh, with Fernandez, I guess. I mean, he was playing college a couple months ago, at least, you know, uh, Castro's has been playing, he's played in U twenties and shit, you know? So if anything, he has bigger game experience than, uh, uh, than, than Fernandez did, but I don't know. I think I think you can make an argument that yeah, I'm I'm sure if I I'm sure someone can convince me, but I'm not sure I can convince myself how much of a help. Um, I think if anything, Rizzo probably would have been a uh, been a better option. Yeah, I think I think I think uh, like a, a lot of the uncertainty stems from the fact that we're still not real. We still don't really have a very conclusive sample of how his game transfers over to MLS level yet. Right, all we yeah. really have to go off of right now is how he looked in USL. And the various cameos that he had uh, against Houston last year, and now against Columbus, and I think he looked really good. He looked pretty good against Houston, and he had a very solid game in Columbus. But that's still a very small sample, and until we see more minutes in MLS, I think, um, yeah, it's not the the jury still very much out in Christian Casares until like we see him get more extended minutes in MLS. So yeah. I think that's where I kind of kind of stand in that. Uh, we'll move on to a question from Colin. And uh, asking, how much of a role do you think the wind played? All six goals scored with the wind. Neither team had much going into the wind. Santos had a couple chances, but RBNY could seem to complete one pass in the second half. No chance Santos scores the 60-yard goal going in the other direction. I mean, I- I'm not going to deny that, you know, like, maybe it would play a factor. But if it if the wind played a factor, it'd be very, very, very far down on my list of things that cost us the game, you know, because I think attributing a significant portion of the loss to the wind is going to make us sound very Jurgen Kloppish <laughs> right now. And I think I'm going to stray away from blaming things on like adverse weather effects or travel or whatever, because I think there are definitely more significant pointed issues that we have gone over in depth in this episode that we can point to to say that that cost us the game. And anyway, I think I'd like to point out, it's not like Santos were really playing long ball either. You know, they're keeping the ball in the ground for the most part. And they were just passing through the lines really well when the substitutions were made. So I I mean, I guess it could play a factor, but I don't think it was as a significant factor in the slightest. You know, I think you, I still think the tactical breakdown in the second half was a bigger reason for us losing on the day than anything to do with the weather. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure... I'm sure it, it, it didn't help, but I mean, as a professional player at this level, you know, if you have to angle your passes a little bit more to get a little more bite on, 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 on a, on a pass, um, if you have to position your, I, I don't know, as a professional at this level, I expect you to be able to adjust to something like that. Um, maybe the fourth goal doesn't happen, but my man rocked that shit. Like straight up, my dude, like he, he kicked the fuck out of that ball. And it wasn't, and it wasn't like a floater, like uh, uh, like Via had last season. I think it was against I forgot who. Um, 
the great year, the goal. It at, was a it was a Philadelphia. Uh, he scored it against Andre Blake. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the goal that people made it seem like it was like, the greatest goal in in, in, in fucking you know MLS history. Um, but like that was kind of a floater. This one was like a line drive. I mean, he kicked the shit out of that fucking ball. So may, may, maybe it bounces once before it goes in, but I still think it goes in. Um, yeah, yeah I, I'm 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 hesitant to to blame it. I I expect our players to be able to to um to figure that out. I think uh, just to go on an A side for a bit, I just wanted to, like, in a vacuum, I want to talk about the aesthetics of that goal from Brian Lozano because, my goodness, yeah. I hate that it happened against our team. But when something like that happens against your team, all you can really do is just throw your hands up and laugh because it was just I tip my such hat. an aesthetically <laughs> pleasing goal in so many facets. You know, like a fucking streamer from 60 yards that goes right into the top corner, like, that was some like Pete Clarence Seedorf shit, you know. <laughs> like I have to tip my hat to him. Like yeah. I'm sorry. Like y'all probably don't want to hear this, but that was a pretty fucking great goal, you guys. And even though the loss kind of sucks, well, at least we got to witness that, right? Like silver linings and everything. <laughs> Look, you, you know what though? I, I, I'd, uh, I, I'd rather, but you know, I would rather lose against a team that that shows that level of quality. If I'm gonna get rocked by a team. Fuck it. At least let it be a team like that who shows a high level of attacking quality. If I'm, a, if, if if my team is going to lose, uh, fuck it, man. Let let it be a, a beautiful Golasso like that. I don't want it to be, you know, losing to 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 I don't know, fucking Orlando or or some you know shit fucking team like that. So I mean, there's a level of respect where if you even as good as you are, if you get rocked, you got it. You got to tip your hat. You know, you you gotta you gotta give him credit. That was an unbelievable goal. Yeah, that was certainly the moment where it was a sign from the gods that, yeah, it just wasn't meant to be your night. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just kind of take it as that and just kind of move on. And thank you, John Perticaro, for sending in this question because this seeks into um, this idea of moving on and enjoying other things in life. So um, there are several things that went wrong in the game, from putting on pure attackers instead of also sprinkling it with defensive mids to stopping the attack. Santos is a one-off and should be treated as such. Yep. There's still a lot of things to be excited about, right? And yeah, John, I mean, not just with the team. I mean, we're a very deep team this year. We're going to be competing on a lot of fronts. And I think, you know, as much as gutting as it was to lose in that fashion to Santos Laguna, as we said, you know, I think on a day, a team that beats you without level, sharing that level of quality, you tip your hat to them. I mean, we, we talk about, you know, I think we're definitely still one of the best teams in MLS a uh, crushing loss like that in CCL shouldn't take away from our chances at, at competing for silverware on all fronts in MLS this year. And that's kind of like the first part of the question that I will answer. Um, you know, I think with regards to there are many things being excited about with this team because I don't think being dumped out like that in continental competition is going to take away from our chances of competing on, competing on a domestic front at all. I mean... Here's the thing. I mean, Bayern Munich just got dumped out by Liverpool in continental competition in a rather embarrassing fashion as well. And you're still probably going to win Bundesliga this year. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, we can't, we, I think I'm going to ask, ask people to kind of have this level of separation when it comes to these competitions, because I think in, in full context, we still lost to a very, very good team that could probably be considered one of the best on the continent. And in my opinion, maybe some of you guys don't want to hear this, but I, in my opinion, there's no shame in doing that because it doesn't really take away our chances of competing for silverware in the domestic league. And I think nothing will wash that taste out of our mouth than getting to hoist another banner in the 2020 home opener. 
And that's what would be something that we should be looking forward to. But on the non-soccer side, I mean, you know, I think the world kind of sucks right now. There's a lot of really shitty things in life, but just appreciate the little things, man. I mean, you have loving family and friends who love you and want to see the best out of you. And at the end of the day, as much as we talk about soccer on this soccer podcast, um, it's still a distraction from the little bits of joy that you find in life. So, I mean, my, my recommendation is just go find the things in life that spark joy in other facets and just to go enjoy that when you're not watching soccer. You know, I think there are definitely things to be excited about for those who want to go and look for them. So, yeah, that's where I come at. I'm kind of at. I mean, dude, it's going to be 65 degrees in Mars. So I'm happy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm excited. Shit. Trust me, I got over this fucking game real quick when I saw that forecast. Um, yeah. No, I look, it, it, the, I, I touched upon a little bit before, and, and, and I'll mention it again. The reality is, as big as we are, and even though Santos is, you know, seventh or eighth or whatever in, 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 in their table, reality may very well be that we're as, again, when you're playing with margin, within margins, when, when, when you have two good teams where anything can happen, yeah, maybe our level is seventh, eighth, fifth, sixth or something in, in uh, compared to, to, to Liga MX. It is what it is. They're, they're a good fucking team. We're a good team. Yeah, we. I think we show glimpse uh, a lot, not more, not even glimpses. I think we showed that we're a good team. Because the first leg, we had a lot of good chances. And in the second leg, we went there, we punched him right in the fucking dick in the first 10 minutes. So we showed that we're a good team. We showed that we can compete. Poor decisions yeah. Poor decisions were made. And, and we, you know, we felt we against a good team, you're going to suffer from it. But that doesn't take away from how good we are. I mean, I'm, I'll keep it. Man, I'm going to be straight up. If we fucking got knocked out the way Atlanta got knocked out, I think I might be more pissed off. I don't know if you saw the game, but I saw that shit last night. That shit pissed me off. If... I both sides just looked completely disinterested. Atlanta, I mean, they they tried, but like just stylistically, they're just so flat now and so fucking boring. It it didn't even look like they were like going for it. It was it was I you knew they were, but like them trying against a Monterey that was just like eh, you know, just I mean, there were points where like 80% of the players in the field were literally standing. You will never see that in a game with this team. You will never see that unless the whistle's blown. Will you see that many players just fucking standing still? So at least we, we, we fucking bombed in a horrible way, but you know what? We went for it. I can respect that. Yeah. So I'm, you know what? If, if the, the two best teams probably in major league soccer history, got owned, absolutely owned in different ways, but got owned in, in Champions League this year. We, I think, owned ourselves more than they did, though. So at least I can say that. So, <laughs> so, so going into the season, in a weird way, I feel good. I feel good knowing that we still, in, 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 in a lot of ways, competed against a very good Liga MX team. We're never going to – this year, from now until the end of this calendar year, we are not going to go against a team anywhere near as good as them. So now that the team has been exposed to that and we've seen what they can do against higher level, then my expectations are still just as high as they were before. If anything, higher because we got knocked out or at least around earlier than I thought we would. So that's less fixture congestion. I think we've yeah. – I, I think – 
I felt this way going into the season, and I feel even stronger about it, especially after seeing the Columbus game and especially after seeing a little bit of, of rotation that we've seen in between there, that we have an even deeper team than we did last year. We don't have a Tommy Redding anymore. No disrespect to him. But our drop-off is not that significant. So our, our attacking depth is stronger. I feel good. I feel great going into it. I'm, I'm very, very, very excited. Tests will come in big moments in the U.S. Open Cup again. And tests will come in, in the playoffs. And the playoffs will be interesting to see because it definitely lends to our favor. If we win the Shield, we only have three games to win the Cup. And they would all be at home. But because there's only one games, uh, or there's only one game for each round, then obviously that makes things a little tighter. But still, we're we're, we're positioned, I think, more than we ever were to win to win a cup, whether it's U.S. Open Cup or the MLS Cup. And I definitely think, given how how weak I think most of the East is, and the fact that the West is probably just going to cannibalize itself, we are in running. I think again for another supporter shield. So. Yeah. There's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, and I think you said it best. I mean, uh, to kind of border into uh, that so metro stuff on here. I mean, like, uh, there's some pride in knowing that um, on the day your team owned itself harder than any of the opposition owned you, right? So I think um, we can kind of take that as a feather in the cap. You know, I think we got in the way of ourselves again, and we at least died on our backs. You know, maybe we didn't die on the backs that we the way that we wanted to. But I guess if you're going to lose that way, like I'd rather it us kind of like at least doing it spectacularly than just looking putrid, giving up four goals in the opening 40 minutes and then tamely clawing back to like when the subs come on and Santos stop giving a shit. You know, I think that definitely would have been a lot more embarrassing if we didn't show the fight that we did in the opening 35 minutes and we could it's one of those small silver linings. You know, you take that as a little feather in your cap. You just know that if you manage to expand that and figure out a way to expand that over a 90-minute sample instead of a 65-minute sample next time, that you can definitely be very – that you, we would have gotten a result that would have everyone would have been very, very proud of in the day. And that's kind of what I'm going to take into the season with me. Yeah. Like, that doesn't take away anything from how good I think this team is. And that's just going to be the book for you. Um, we're going to move on to a question from everyone's favorite corporate sponsor. That's right. The official empanada of the New York ripples. Sending us a question, uh, this week, uh, this is not sponsored content in spite of the way that I am presenting this question, <laughs> but we would like if we get paid for reading questions out in this way. So hint, hint, <laughs> big hint. We're looking for sponsorship. <laughs> Um, Brisas asking, who should be the next player to get an empanada named after them? What would it contain and why? And this is a really interesting question, actually. And I'm going to throw, and I know the last time that this question was asked, uh, some really weird shit happened. Like I suggested a horse meat empanada, <laughs> yeah. I believe. <laughs> and uh, I think it was Andrew, Andrew Visano, of course, uh, the, the, the communications manager for the team. Uh, on our recap episode for 2018 last year, suggested, you know, it would be a Kaku-themed um, empanada with a nutmeg sprinkled on the top. But I'm actually going to go down that route again. You know, I think we could have a dessert empanada. 
with the uh, flour pastry now that that's out instead of corn pastry with the flour pastry. But we should do it to honor our new Danish boy, Matthias Jorgensen. Matthias Jorgensen? Matthias Jorgensen? I'm not really sure. Like, but yeah, I think uh, you know, I think you could do a very interesting Scandinavian-based um, empanada, and I think. What was brought to my attention that kind of sparked this idea is that friend of the show, Lee, introduced us to the wonders of a Norwegian brown, brown cheese. Oh, Apparently yeah. it's just kind of this really nice cheese that has a cheesy texture, but you can spread it around. It kind of tastes a bit like salted caramel in the end, interestingly enough. So we could kind of make a dessert empanado with like that as the filling and maybe have some kind of glazed like pastry dough as like to like um, some kind of glazed pastry dough as like a dessert empanada like i think that'd be pretty fucking sick if you ask me like i know i'm not really sure if danish pastries are actually danish but if you like made something like a danish pastry glaze that you covered the flour empanada with and then filled the inside with brown cheese and disclaimer the brown cheese is from norway i know norway and denmark are two different countries so before one of you fucking nerds want to hop into my mentions being oh lens doesn't know geography <laughs> dumb shit i'm fucking admitting it right now okay but norway and like the cultural product from norway being fit into a cultural product that is supposed to honor something that may not even be danish seems a bit weird but listen this is fucking america where you somehow managed to con millions and millions of white people into thinking that orange chicken is a fucking traditional Chinese dish. Okay? So people will take whatever facsimile you put in front of them and just go with it. So that's my answer for you. Danish pastry-inspired empanada with Norwegian brown cheese filling for Matthias Jorgensen. I have, I have, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> Okay, um, closing out the episode close, um, will be a two-pack from Tonino M. Um, asking, first of all, uh, could an argument be made that this may be the last season for BWP? I mean, I'm not going to, like, I'm, I'm not writing his epitaph in fucking March, let alone that it really does seem to be, like, a talking point every single year, that the moment um, BWP kind of slows down, like, um everybody gets sent into a panic a little bit maybe they think that this is finally the year that father time showed up father time came for bradley but i will say you know i mean like traditionally he is a bit of a slow starter in his career there's still plenty of time for him to turn it around he gets maybe one goal against san jose and maybe he goes on another run and that's all he needs to kind of wake break out of the slump right but i think discussion about bwp right now really does remind me of what discussion around Mariano Rivera was with the Yankees back in the day about like how every single year when Rivera would kind of go into this period where he'd be blow he'd be blowing a couple saves in a row or kind of struggling to get the save that everyone would be like oh shit Mo's finally lost his cutter he's no longer the force <laughs> he once was and then he goes and rattles off a 10 save like streak in the, in the in the coming days and everyone settles down again I mean like Brad could be another one of these situations like Rivera where like uh, it's just a probably an ill-timed blue streak, but it could also be, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, it could be, but it also couldn't be is what I'm trying to say. So kind of inclusive, inconclusive if you ask me. So yeah, I guess to kind of cut a long story short, um, 
still too early to tell. Yeah, I think um, I, I, I'm I'm still I I'm not worried. Maybe I shouldn't say worried. I'm not worried. I I am like I've said a couple times. There there's something feels something looks a little bit different. Um, but I, I I just glanced actually at a at a snippet of an article that had mentioned that um, in the four Champions League matches this year. He took he took eleven shots, seven on target, and had an expected goal total of two point six five. So that shows that that he is being put in good positions, and he's taking shots and he's and he's putting them on target. He's 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 putting them where he needs to, uh, uh, in a position to score. You know, two point six five expected goals is is not that bad. Seven shots on target of your eleven is that's a that's a pretty good ratio. So. May, this may very well just be the, the 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 kind of that usual slow start for him, and and maybe he just looks a little bit different because maybe he is playing a little bit different. You know, he is playing uh, uh, kind of a false nine-ish, um, maybe more than usual. Uh, there's definitely a clear second striker at times more frequently. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot of changes, a lot of different things that maybe if I kind of take a step back and 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 see things kind of at a different angle. It's not as, not as, I guess, bad as maybe, I mean, I think it's bad, maybe not as bad as, as maybe I'm a little worried about, but I guess I think I'll be fine. I mean, if, if, if he's, if he's, if he's got to expect, if, if he's, if he's getting that many shots, that many on target, it's Brad. He's going to, he's those, those goals are going to start going in. He just needs a little bit of a, a little bit of a jump and maybe a, a team like San Jose is going to, going to give him that spark. So I guess I should, probably shouldn't worry too much. I don't think anyone really should be too, too concerned. Yeah, I think uh, that that little bit of a statistical, like that little statistic thrown in definitely does suggest that, you know, he's still getting in good positions. And there's just some random number fuckery going on right now that means that those shots in target didn't really transfer over into goals just yet. But, you know, I think sometimes that's statistical variance in a nutshell for you. Like weird shit happens in number samples sometimes. Look, look at sooner or later. Look, look at God. If he can... Look at Gaku. Yeah, number variance. We saw it last last uh, the second half of last year. Even you know we talked about it in length about the change with with Velo, but he was still creating chances. His expected assist number barely dropped. They just weren't they they those those weren't being converted. So it, it happens. Yeah. yeah, it's just one of those weird statistical variance things, and I think hearing that is definitely a very good outlook for Brad on the season. He's still getting into good positions. He's still firing off really good quality shots from really good positions. Sooner or later, those are going to turn into goals. And I think um, it'll still all be in a rear view mirror by like May or June when he's like racking up goals like we were used to seeing again. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm going to revise my stance. I think Brad's going to be fine this year, you guys. Um, there could be a case if it doesn't pick up, but the underlying numbers suggest that he's just kind of really going through a particularly unlucky spell right now then so i will say i think i think brad's not done yet so don't, don't so don't count him out kind of been the uh trend that's followed him throughout this career of people kind of writing him off prematurely but yeah if there's anyone you don't bet against at this point is bradley right phillips yeah. so yeah I'm betting on brad um final question from him is all these kids are great but do you think we need another game changer dp in parentheses in the midfield to push us to the next level so I'm going to answer this question two ways, and I'm going to give you my serious answer first. And, you know, I did bring up the possibility uh, if you do use the third DP slide. If none of the options that you trot out as center midfield have proven that they can 
effectively compensate for each other's strengths and weaknesses enough, then yeah, maybe you do use that third DP slot on bringing in a defensive midfielder. I mean, that's just one potential possibility. But I think, as I said on the last episode, that this is only something that you arrive at once you've tested all the options at that position and given them some semblance of time. Because I'd like to point out that the transfer window, this transfer window closes in May. I don't see us bringing in anyone before the end of that window just yet. But we do have assets on our team right now that can be swung for an in-league trade for someone who can fill in at that position. We did it in 2016 when we swung a bunch of assets to Orlando for Aurelian Collin, and he shored up our back line, right? So I'm not really going to rule that out just yet. I think the team kind of does know, does have a really good idea of what is needed and what isn't, and they have a very, they've done a very good job of making sure that they've accumulated the number of assets that they need to potentially make a move to help shore up certain areas. Areas of the team it need be. I don't know if it's a DP like everyone wants, but DP doesn't always necessarily mean game changer either. You know, I mean, I'm not going to rule out the fact that if you bring in a TAM level player like we were trying to with Hans van der Bruggen before the end of this window, you bring in a TAM level defensive midfielder to shore things up at that position. That doesn't necessarily mean that just because he's TAM level doesn't mean he's not going to be some game changing talent. You know, I think that's kind of one of those weird false dichotomy things that I think people kind of need to recondition your thinking of coming out of MLS 2.0, where you're expecting to have all your quote-unquote difference makers be DPs. You know, like, game-changing talent that we've seen. We, we found quality talent up and down the roster, regardless of roster designation. And I think the team, regardless, will be able to find someone who can fill in at defensive midfield if need be. I don't know if it's a third BP. If you need to use the third DP slot to bring that kind of guy in, sure, go ahead, do it. But I trust that whoever they bring in potentially to help with the defensive midfield situation um, in the event that the current options in the roster don't work out, I trust that the team will be able to find and bring that guy in like regardless of what roster machination they decide to use to bring him in. And I'm going to give you my comic answer after Fernando gives his thoughts. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, I just want to, even though I joke about it uh, sometimes, like on Twitter and, 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 you know, discussion group, whatever, I'm not opposed to the team using the third DP spot. In fact, I actually, I kind of, exp- I'm, I'm slightly surprised that they didn't use it. Um, although they, they did bring in Matthias, who technically would be a DP if it wasn't for, you know, these weird uh, MLS accounting measures. I think people often forget about that, that a TAM player is basically a DP. I mean, we even paid a transfer fee from him. A TAM player is a DP. The only reason why they're not officially a DP is because of MLS monopoly money and accounting. Literally the only reason why. We have we have TAM players that make more money than our actual DP in Gaku. Long and Parker make more money than Gaku does. And their TAM players, Gaku is a, a DP. Don't get confused by by these stupid, you know, MLS roster designations. Don't don't get that stuff confused. I feel like a lot of people do. They're still they're DP level players. Full on. So and I think that's to your point about what if you do use a DP spot or if you do just pull it use TAM money 
to shore in a defensive midfielder or who knows, maybe something happens to, to, to Kamara's knee again. Please don't, but maybe you have to spend it on, on, on a, on a left back in the future. Like you, you maybe, you know, maybe Royer just hits, hits, hits a wall and, and you feel like, okay, you know what? Let's, let's use it on that spot. My stance under the third DP issue is we proved that we can score goals. We proved that we were a great team last year. I know I rail on this sometimes, and I don't care. I will continue to do it forever. If you win the Supporters' Shield, even if you finish top three in the league in a single table, you were good enough to win the MLS Cup. Period. What happens during the playoffs does not make or break how good you really are. And we were knocked out by Orlando, who finished two points behind us. So going into the season, my stance was we were still a good enough team. I felt we needed to address depth more than anything. And we would have, I would, would have been nice to have a, a, a good enough backup for, for, for Bradley or a potential successor for him. I don't think there's a glaring need to just bring in a third DP just to bring a third DP. I hear people always talking about, oh, you know, we've had we've had a hole in the right wing for blah blah blah. Did people forget how well Velo played in, in in the first half of last year? Did people forget how 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 important he was and how many how many goals he was directly responsible for and indirectly responsible for because of how good he was in transition? I mean, that's that's what we needed. We had it. He just got hurt and he's back and looks like he's doing okay. I don't think we need to this team needs to rush into rash decisions of of making a huge significant uh, uh a rush decision and using your finite third dp spot just because people feel like oh well we we just we just need, we just need a difference maker. Eh, let's see how let's see how the bet let's see how the team who was last year the best team in MLS history does in the first half until the transfer window. If we do have glaring holes in the attack, sure. Use use Tam. Use a DP spot. Use whatever you feel like you need to to get the right person to fit in. Fuck attendance to the deepest pits of fucking hell that is meaningless. And 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 if 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 I fucking swear to God, if I ever heard our sporting director say we bought we brought this player in because we think he's gonna bring butts and seats. I'm throwing I'm I'm setting my fucking jersey on fire. I don't want to hear that shit. Wow. <laughs> the role of this of, of the director is to put the best possible lineup to win. Not win attendance cups, not to win, you know, box line fucking victory in the box score. No. To win. So if by this summer we have a hole that 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 Dennis feels like needs to be filled by that level of a player, go for it. But I don't think there's any evidence that 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 we need to do that right now. And and this difference maker argument is the most annoying argument in the world because it doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a difference maker unless you're Messi, unless you're Ronaldo, or you're in that top three percent player in the world. Because all those people who said that on Toronto, that they were difference makers in 2017. Where were they making differences in 2018? All those difference makers in in in, uh, in 2016. What happened to them in 2017 and 2018? 2015. 
Where were they in 2016, 2017, 2018? When, when, like, what, what, what is a difference maker? When do you get, when do you earn those, when do you earn that badge? Like, do you have to just score one goal in one moment and you're forever a fucking difference maker? Even if you never do anything again, it's just a one and done. That, that's shit. I wish I could do that at work. <laughs> let, 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 let me fix one fucking server and I'll just, I'll just sit on my fucking desk, my, my desk and do nothing forever because i fixed this thing this one fucking time it doesn't work like that it's such a weird like rationale that i i, I will never wrap my head around that a difference maker is someone who's going to make a difference consistently that means you're a good fucking player there's no such thing as just one one like it's just it's weird to me that this idea that you just need this one person who's just going to create something out of nothing that's called magic magic doesn't exist but what does exist is just a good player, a player who is just going to be able to do something at any moment. And we saw that. Rizzo was a difference maker this year, pulled us back with two goals and gave us three points, which, by the way, if it wasn't for that, we don't win the shield. You want a difference maker? That was your difference maker. Royer saved our ass against Columbus. You want a difference maker? You got a difference maker. I can run down a whole long list of, of moments in games for multiple players where they made a difference. Fucking Alex Wheel's a goddamn difference maker. He's res- directly responsible for six points. We don't win the shield without him. That's a fact. That's not a debate. That is a fact. He won us two games. Two actually no, sorry. I think he the one game where where, where he hustled and 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 uh and he got that assist by goal. That may have been the DC game, I think, right? Uh, that was uh, the DC game where he assisted Brad with that touch on that long ball. And then uh, the hustle assist was uh, – there were two hustle assists, actually. One was to set up Brian White and the other and right. against Houston. And the other was to set up uh, Tim Parker against Atlanta at home. And that's a big fucking yeah. match moment for you right there. <laughs> Difference maker. People might cringe. I don't care. I don't care because that is that is what a difference maker is. Someone who can consistently make a difference. If you're looking for one person to just randomly do things in tough moments, fine. You know what? Take a flight to Austria and 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 beg that son of a bitch to just buy Messi. Just fucking get it over with. Oh boy. Um, because well, because actually, I- because again, if 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 the idea is just one person doing something one time, you're going to end up like Toronto who blew their load and haven't been able to do shit. You're going to end up like, 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 like fucking, uh, uh, like Seattle who really haven't done much since Portland. Yeah. They made it to, 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 to the cup last year. They didn't win. So what happened to those difference makers? You build a good team. You build a great team who do things consistently. And when you're consistently good, you're going to eventually win a cup. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to build on this point. Um, by, by doing something that I think will be considered heresy um, in this part of America. And it's probably a good uh, good thing then that I don't live there anymore because I'm about to launch a fucking ICBM of a take for you guys <laughs> that I think uh, may probably change your perception of me forever as a person. But I'm going to go after Derek Jeter. Yeah, that's right. We're going to talk about baseball for a bit. I'm a Mets and, uh, fan, you know, so I mean, have fun with that. Go at it. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, like, I, I, I grew up watching the Yankees. You know, like, Jeets was one of my favorite players. I'm not going to lie. And, you know, he is a guy who, for all intents and purposes, is considered 
uh, big game player, right? Captain Clutch, major clutch moments in the playoffs and all that shit. So what if I told you that in spite of the big hits and in spite of, you know, those so-called signature clutch Jeter moments, that he was like a fucking 220 average hitter in the playoffs for his career? <laughs> right. Like, here's the thing. I mean... Look, you want you want to talk about the major contributions he made on defense? Like statistically speaking, he was a, one of the poorest defensive shortstops in the major leagues for most of his career. His range was terrible. He couldn't go to his left side, but he made up for the fact because he made big flashy plays like dive like diving stops and jump throws because he had the range of a statue <laughs> <laughs> defensively. I mean, like Jeter's defense was all he won all those gold gloves because he hit well enough <laughs> during the regular season that people and made flashy enough plays that it kind of compensated for it. You know, I think this difference maker thing kind of boils down to perception at the end of the day, and I don't really care if that's considered heresy because the the the, the facts don't lie. I'm sorry, like G- Jeter was a poor hitter for most of the playoffs. Like, is he a difference maker then? Would you consider Alex Rodriguez a difference maker because he came through that one time, like yeah. in two thousand nine? Like I don't know, man. Like it, like the the paradox at the end of the day for me comes down to the fact that until the difference is made, like you don't know who is and who isn't a difference maker. So it's fucking facile. Yeah, and and again, my my, my benchmark is someone who is consistently good, who consistently puts you in in game winning moments, and and those players. Everyone knows the names because they're some of the biggest names in the world because they're just that special. That for me, that that's that's the reality. There, there's there's no such thing as as some super magical, you know, difference maker in Major League Soccer because if there was, we you would see a dynasty at this point because they would be so good that they're always making a difference, not just once, not just once. Yeah, I mean, I kind of. Kind of does it for me. Um, I guess uh, to kind of what is it? I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna do some fun shit actually to kind of close out this episode. Uh, and I will say this: like I think, um, actually, no, I'm gonna make an amendment because I decided to fact check myself, and I'm gonna say that early career Jeter was a great postseason hitter, but late career Jeter wasn't. So did he lose that designation because the second? Half of his career was poor. I don't know about that, man. This kind of emphasizes like how like weird this like narrative is to me sometimes. But I'm gonna stray away from baseball chat and I'm gonna talk about this thing that I composed actually to kind of illustrate my point on roster designations and perceptions of players. So like I put together an eleven DP starting eleven <laughs> actually recently. And I did do my research in this one. I had it prepared for my, um, I had it prepared. And uh, I'd like to say that, yes, every single one of these players I'm about to name in this 3-5-2, in this 3-6-1 um, formation was a designated player for the, for the regular season. All right, so get me out. So let's begin. Um Goalkeeper, Tim Howard. Center back, Claude Dielna. <laughs> Sorry. Center back, Rudy Camacho. Center back, Liam Ridgewell. Center midfielder, Jonathan Dos Santos. Center midfielder, Alejandro Bedoya. 
central attacking midfielder, Giovanni Dos Santos, left winger, Josue Colman, right winger, Johan Kreuzet, striker, Christian Colman, and other striker, Dom Dwyer. That's 11 DPs right there. How many points does this team get in MLS <laughs> off the top of your heads? Oh, sorry. I can, I'm going to replace Dwyer with fucking Shkrelzen Gazi, the Colorado <laughs> Rapids guy, actually. He was a fucking DP last year, and that came to my mind. Before that, it was Yura Mavsisian. If you slot him in there, like, does that change the outlook that much? I mean, here's the thing. That's 11 DPs right there. You can trot out that, that 11 DP um, roster in a 3-5-2 formation. How many points does that get us in the I think the way that some of y'all talk about players because of the roster designation makes it think that this team will literally put out an invincible season and go on and win every single trophy that's available for us. Apparently, this is a hashtag five trophy team, the way some of y'all talk about designated players. <laughs> and that's just the simple fact is, is that just because the guy gets the designation doesn't mean he's going to put out production that matches that designation. I don't deny that this team will probably bring in someone really good for that third DP slot because we scout well. But the point of the matter is, is that it's more your quote unquote difference maker that you bring in is more down to really good scouting and using the appropriate designation to bring him in than it is using the designation to sign whoever the fuck is out there on the market. You know, there's a difference between smart signings and panic signings when it comes to DPs. And not all two DPs are built the same way. And that's just a T for I mean, you, you, you can get that difference-making DP who puts uh, a, a big name, veteran, established, difference-making DP who will put butts in the seats and still not make the playoffs like the Galaxy. And then the next season have him potentially blow his Achilles and potentially miss the entire season or at least a good portion of the season. Maybe that's what we should be doing. Yeah. Because apparently but, Sato yeah, really think, fucked up his uh, his Achilles in the last game, and and yeah, the outlook is apparently like really bad for him. And they didn't make the playoffs last year. Like I I know I come off like kind of harsh, and I'm like fifty percent joking when I you know when I go on rants like I just did, but I'm also serious too. Where like just the concept of that is just it's 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 all in people's heads, man. There's been plenty of DPS in this league that were completely fucking useless. We've had great DPS, and we didn't win. You know, we didn't win a cup. It's not about the designation, it's about what that player does to the team. People are panicking. People panic most going into the season about Tyler Adams, who didn't even hit the salary cap because he was a homegrown and he was an academy kid. You want a difference maker? That was a difference maker. And he wasn't a DP. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think uh, I think we've kind of answered this question to the degree that it kind of... Uh, so yeah, I think we've already answered this question to and focused uh, the requisite amount of attention like, on this issue. So I think that actually brings us to the 69 tweet for the episode, actually. So yes, if you listened this far into the episode, tweet 69 at David Beckham. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We want you to tweet 69 at Bex because, oh my goodness, like... You guys, I, 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 I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I think it's kind of flogging a dead horse at this point. So, um, tweet 69 at David Beckham for like forcing MLS to fucking like do this whole designated player shit to begin with. I think it's becoming a bit more archaic in context of modern MLS. And it's going to become even more so 
as I think Tam becomes more of an important yeah. tool for building your roster as it goes on. So, evolve or die, ladies and gentlemen. Tweet sixty nine at David Beckham, and that will do it for us on the Metro Fan TV weekly rundown as well. Um, clocking in at an exhausting two hours and thirty minutes of content. Yes, we go the extra mile for you guys <laughs> <laughs> in terms of content. Um, so I guess for that and head, we do have the home opener to look forward to. Uh, against San Jose on Saturday. I'll be getting up at 3.30 a.m. on Sunday to watch this team, as I usually do. So, um, Oh, and real, I'll be there. And real quick, we are Sorry, we, we are going to record um, this Saturday the post-game videos. Uh, so, Honda Gate, 15 minutes, 10, 10, 15 minutes after the whistle, uh, Honda Gate, and then we'll, we're going to record the post-game interviews. Yeah, um, Fernando will be there. Uh, I will be there in spirit. Uh, think of me, close your eyes, think of bleach blonde hair or whatever it is that puts you to bed at night. Uh, yeah, I mean, get excited, you guys. We're we're lifting a banner to the rafters on Saturday. Uh, I won't be able to watch because it probably won't show up on the goddamn stream. Uh, so um, without further ado, thank you once again for sticking with us through uh, maybe less of a crisis episode than it was last week where we were really, really tweeting through it. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, um, thank you once again. On behalf of Fernando and I, thank you once again for listening, sending in a question, engaging with us, whatever. You know, we'll be there. Uh, Fernando will be there in Harrison for the game. I'll be here on Twitter. So holla at me if you need someone to chat to tweet through the game with. But without further ado, on behalf of me and Fernando, we'd like to thank you once again for listening in. And this is Metro Fan TV signing out for the week. Peace. And see you Saturday.